Hey, Doc, we better back up. We don't have enough roads to get up to 88. Roads? Well, we're going, we don't need roads. starting a little bit early today uh just uh, opening up the the festival doors so that uh the ceremony can begin we're gonna have uh dr hans uter utter we're gonna clarify it's i think it's utter uh and he's gonna be on with us today in about uh six minutes or so i just thought i'd um open things up a little bit early today hey how about that a uh so it's a it's a rare day when I'm actually early. So uh, let's all celebrate being early, and I hope you're all doing pretty well. I got to fix my collar too. Uh, I am definitely rocking the uh, the the megalodon right there. This is the the new totem. You can see it, courtesy of CC Jones, aka Fran, and I just got this uh, yesterday. Uh, Lady Artemis put it together with Mr. Artemis. So that was pretty cool. And uh, thank you again, uh, Fran, for, for this wonderful Megalodon tooth. And uh, Fran used to be a like a, an intense deep water diver. And she actually dove into, uh, I think it was a, a deep river. And she found this tooth, brought it up to the surface. And uh, there's more to the story, but let's let's bring our guest in. Let's bring Hans in here. He's a little early too, so let's make use of our time together. I think we're just clicking through here, waiting to see. Let's see. All right, do a little video prompt here. Let's bring the good doctor on. Hey, how are you? Good, Hans. How are you doing today? Good, man. Yep, just trying to finish up this album, and uh, it's almost done. It's a little bit uh, challenging, but it was cool. So, hey. Um, so, so I, I was on your website, and it looks like, are you a Sarod player, Sarod player? Oh, no, sitar. sitar. Yeah, oh, so you're a sitar player. Okay. Yeah, I do. Um, yeah, I've got, I have this whole um, studio I built. Um, it's finally up and operational. So it's pretty, that was like the first thing I did. That was a guitar playing, like Indian classical music on guitar. But I've, I've done a lot of different, um, you know, genres. Um, you know, I play um, sitars, you know, primary thing. Um, right. And then, um, uh, you know, guitar. I play also like, R&B, funk, other playing touring groups and stuff like that. Uh, other things I don't really do now anymore, but I, I played pretty much any any style of music you can think of. And 
you know, and that's what I'm, I've been doing now for, uh, gosh, you know, and now it's a long time, 13, it's about eight years full time. Um, I was actually, you know, university stuff and then got back into doing music and still standing. So there we go. Well, it's great to have you on the show. I, I watched your latest episode with Jan Irvin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, and I thought there was a, it's really fertile and there's a lot to talk about just from that episode alone, from Apocalypto to the scene behind me, which is Altamont to a number of other things that probably tie into your schizogenesis um, concept and theory, which we will talk about. So I'm really excited to have you on today and wanted to find out um, a little bit more about you. Where, Where are you located? I'm in Columbus, Ohio. Columbus, Ohio. And where did you study the sitar? Was it the uh, Ali Akbar concert? No, no, no. I lived, I, I left um, when I was uh, 22. I left the United States and just, it was a random thing, kind of. Uh, and I moved to India. I lived in it. So I lived in India pretty much hardcore. You know, my, I guess it got disowned from my family. So I couldn't, so I just would just come back and like work a bunch of jobs over the summer and go back to India. So I lived in India about four, four or five years but I, it was it was great at the, you know at the time. I, I don't think I'm that hardcore now, man. I probably couldn't do it. But yeah, so I learned in India Ustaz Sujat Khan, and then I've uh, continued. Um, you know, and um, you know, I've I've been back to India many times. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. doing research and stuff. But yeah, those sitaras. Yeah, I went. You know, Sujat Khan is um, son of Vlad Khan, one of the top sitaras. Um, I've been doing guitar, you know, whatever various styles from. Uh, you know, I was playing gay. You know, probably four, fifteen on 15 and um but then i you know i had an academic still have an academic sort of part of myself so i, I you know i was in for about a decade or so I was involved in that. so what, what was your background in academia was it music or, or something else well I, I decided to go get my degree because i dropped out of college to go to india mm-hmm. and so I, I decided to uh i got my undergrad then i i was just doing a lot of gigs um you know like you know playing, you know, all these late night gigs. I was pretty much doing gigs full time. And I just, um, that that's on this is just a sitar thing. But uh, so this is primarily like I have not done my much of my website. This is primarily just I was like a sitar promotional thing. And I have mm-hmm. not I really have to update it. But I still, you know, I'm doing various things um, both with performing. And so I, I had academic stuff. I had a public pretty big publication come out from um, um uh you know uh, it was rotledge so i had to do like a scientific paper and stuff so. oh wow that's uh th- yeah that's pretty significant good for you so we're looking at some of your uh accomplishments here performance regularly in u.s india europe recipient of 16 national and international awards and grants including lewis armstrong outstanding musician award and was recently appointed as an ohio arts council artist and resident uh as a band leader prizes include mood swing MLQ, Outer Space, and Hans Outer Trio. Okay, that some of those things are kind of a kind uh, of old. Yeah, I mean, I really got to update this thing, man. Um, but uh, um, I've got I've got like Jimmy Hendrix and Philosophy that came out 2018. Um, mm-hmm. I got um, I got a new book. I, I've actually we have time. I can grab a copy of it. Are we about to go live? Or we are. We're we're streaming, man. We're, oh, we're, we're streaming. We're, Shit, this is a show. I yeah, know you're on, brother. Oh man, this is like totally like this is like shop talk or something. It's so all that, it's I, all good. It's all good. Yeah. So we started. So with this, 
audience, man. I, I, I feel like I'm in front of this crowd, you know, this roaring crowd about ready to play with Mick Jagger. That's right, man. This is actually from the uh, Jefferson Airplanes set. Okay. Where, where Marty Ballon gets clocked by uh, one of the angels with a pool cue and, not, and gets knocked out. Yeah. So Sa- Santana was supposed to play that day. And there's a, there's a clip from the movie where Michael Shreve, who's the drummer of Santana, is talking to somebody. I forget. It might have been, I think it might have been Bob Weir. And he said, yeah, man. Yeah, they, they knocked Marty out. They knocked Marty out, dude. We're not going on. So Santana, which he was supposed to play, didn't play that day. Um, so t- tell me about your new book. What's the new book? Well, the book I have available, it's called uh, Awaken Radiance of Mind, The True Palace of Freedom. So it's kind of a long title, but it's um, it's it, I, it, it just goes through a lot of sort of different material people may not be familiar with. And then it, it goes also into the the uh, you know sort of the higher dimensional aspect of music as it connects to um, the manifestation of the physical world we live in, the manifestation of our minds, the the inner space. But there's a lot of stuff in there. I think it's it's everyone that's read it really likes it. Um, I, I may you know add to it, um, but there's a lot of stuff. Um, I guess it's sort of I'd say it's more conspiracy oriented than not. So it's not quite um, you know the title sounds almost like some. Uh, epical spiritual tone but uh, it, it's i think it's relatively uh, interesting and so that's that's there and i've got got a number of other books and i have to get around to, to doing that in fact now i'm inspired to do that today so but uh, but yeah that that's the one and so i can you know i can grab a show the copy i have some hardcover editions of that left but um can you do that now can you go grab one now sure yeah go ahead go ahead do that So uh, we're having a conversation with Hans Utter, Dr. Hans Utter, and uh, and we're going to get into uh, schismogenesis and what that's all about, and then uh, talk about some of the themes that he and Jan Irvin were batting around on Jan's show, uh, and might be able to extrapolate and expand and make some of those bigger. I think he's been on Jan's show about I think 50 times and the latest is on unspun, which is a, an ongoing series that Jan uh, does. I, I think it's on, it's on YouTube. It's also part of the Gnostic media website. So uh, Dr. C- uh, Dr. Mr. Cruz sent me the interview with Hans and Jan uh, at the beginning of the week. And then I watched it and then Steve came to me and said, Hey, would you like to have Hans on the show? It's like, yeah, I just watched this interview with him and him and Jan Urban. I think that'd be great. So let, let's see that book, Hans. Okay. Well, here's here's one of them. Let's see. This is this is uh Jimi Hendrix and Philosophy. Right. And this is a what is it? Uh, open court press. And then this is my book. Totally. I did everything, including the the cover and all that. It was a pain in the ass, but What's the, what's the, what's the title there? What is, is it, it backwards? It's just showing up backwards. Awaken radiance of mind. Okay, oh, cause this, this is the one that we're talking about. Um, yeah, 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 this is my, yeah. Okay, so, so the Hendrix book, that looks really interesting. Um, when did that come out? Um, that was uh, 2018, I believe. That's uh, mm-hmm. um, 2018, yep. 
So give us a little synopsis on Hendrix and the philosophy of Jimi Hendrix. Well, you know, this series is basically, uh, it's a popular culture and philosophy series. So they mm -hmm. go, there's, all, there's a whole bunch of books in this series. Um, but this guy approached me, well, sort of random because he used to come see me play in this bar. I would, you know, had this uh, gig I set up, um, uh, you know, just a kind of a dive bar, but I would just kind of do my extended kind of guitar freak out stuff. And he, he, it turns out he was a professor of philosophy. And then he mentioned this, this book project. And so then I, then I got able to write uh, a bunch of stuff for it. So there's a, um, there's quite a lot in there. Um, you know, Jim Anderson philosophy, I, I connected with like uh, Schopenhauer, the, uh, the idea of, uh, you know, will, um, an idea um, I, with the Gnostic, Gnostic philosophy, you know, looking for the beloved, right, the beloved and this and that. So it's kind of a lot of diff different stuff, um, but it's pretty interesting, you know, and I, I found uh, that at least for me, um, I know that I will, I've seen a lot of the sort of darkness from many music acts that you think are really great. And there's actually, even if their music is good, I think, you know, it can definitely may not be something you want to, you know, permeate your brain with. But I think Hendrix, um, you know, overall um, was definitely sort of on a, had a, a sort of higher connection, you know, in his music. And he goes through a lot of different um, you know, kind of questions and themes. I mean, I can go into more detail, but that, that's Yeah, no, I, th I think Hendrix is a really interesting character and everybody, you know, knows him for being this guitar god, uh, but his lyrics are pretty mind-blowing. And a lot of what's interesting, and you probably know this because you, you wrote the book, but a lot of the stuff that he talks about in some of these uh, science fiction lay songs are actually events from his childhood that he uh, like, like mythologizes. Like the, the, there's one of the songs, I think is it um, Castles Made of Sand, or that, that tune. I think that has to do with his mother and his mother actually leaving um the household uh, and so he's a so he's a very interesting character and a lot of the really spacey sci-fi stuff actually has roots in his own personal life did you go down any of those rabbit holes well you know and that's that's there um but the thing is for me why i think Henrik's is more interesting in that you know there's a lot of things that we could talk about our experiences in life and this and that. Um, so even like Castles Made of Sand, right? I, I, mean, I, just, I feel like busting out my Strat right now and playing it. I got, I, I got my 75 Strat sitting there, but uh, I'm not going to do that. I might later, but, uh, but basically like Castles Made of Sand, you know, it's, so it's this whole, it's a series of, of vignettes, right? It's the first one down the street. You can hear her scream, you're a disgrace. As she slams the door in his drunken face. Um, you know, next outside, the neighbors start to gossip and drool. You know, guys, oh, girl, you must be mad. What happened to sweet love you and me had? Against the door, he leans and starts a scene, and tears fall and burn in garden green. So that first verse, it's, okay, the guy's getting thrown out of his house. But then... That, that, that's his father, right? That's Al, right? Yeah, but, but what I'm saying is this. So tears fall and burn in garden green. So that color of green, this ties in like Axis Bowl of love, as love. So he has this sort of... Um, mystical cosmology um you know i'm sure um a lot more uh, uh intensified by lsd right for sure, sure. Yeah. but but definitely 
he's got this so it's just that's maybe a personal thing but it it begins to take on much broader significance right so the tears falling into the garden um that's like you know this is the you know like the it's like the water of life but it's also the the how the whole cycle of life when you you know you live and you die you become back part of the earth but then there's this thing of like nothing in this life stays everything doesn't linger right and an indian brave whose heart was a frown so he's ready to go and then he dies before he can do before he can go into the war i if people don't familiar with the lyrics i i can recite them but yeah no, I, so yeah hendrix is interesting in that he does create this these mythologies in uh in his music and they're, they're they're quite interesting i think this one song in particular the one we're talking about is kind of a key one for him because it's it's sort of the you know the garden or the or the the ground i think on which a lot of his life experience and this kind of more cosmic mythology begins to evolve out of um the other thing i, I find interesting about hendrix is that he and bruce lee are born on the same day okay and, and they're different years there's all these weird connections with him and bruce lee right they both are from seattle area right they're both born in the same day and they're both mixed if i'm not mistaken i think bruce lee is mixed and they're both these kind of sagittarian philosophers like hendrix is more spacey and more sci-fi uh but bruce lee's a total philosopher and his whole thing is like working towards the system that's no system and i just find both of them just you know, utterly, utterly fascinating. For hey, I'm also a Sagittarian, man. Uh, same. Yeah. As there you go. And so, yeah. and you see these links between people sometimes that they're just so uncanny, like really, really uncanny. Like Jim Morrison and uh, Sinead O'Connor are both born on the same day, both Sagittarians, by the way. And weird links in some ways between the two of them, particularly because Sinead O'Connor is, in my estimation, she's handled, right? She's, Sinead O'Connor is clearly MK Ultra, and one of her handlers is Chris Christopherson, which it's, there's this weird, I don't know if you've ever seen, but there's this weird, um, like interview with her on a TV show in England. And she's there with Chris Christopherson. It's like, what is she doing there with Chris Christopherson? Well, Christopherson is a noted handler. He's a Rhodes scholar, right? So he connects into the whole Laurel Canyon scene. And that's where, you know, Morrison connects into the whole Laurel Canyon. So there's these weird six degrees of separation between Morrison and Sinead O'Connor, both born on the same day. So, yeah, man. I mean, I think I love music and you're right. A lot of it is tainted and it doesn't stop me from listening to it, but I think understanding some of these people and what they're about and where these um, scenes evolve out of, I think is important. So at least you know what you're getting into when you go back and listen to some of these bands. Well, yeah. Um, but I think, you know, I'll just finish up with the Hendrix thing before I go back. So, sure. so in a sense, he, he goes, he had this sort of inner awakening, right? And so you can hear this message to love his like his later songs, right? So he's, he's seen this, you know, the crossing the rainbow bridge. Um, you know, he has a, you know, 1983 mermaid actually be going underwater, right? Forever leaving, you know, but there's, there's this deep, you know, this, this feeling of loss, right? Which comes, you know, from his mother, from his childhood and that, that pain is there, right? And he does transcend it, right? You know, angel. So he has this sort of, um, you know, higher level awakening. Um, but in a certain way, he's still a vehicle 
that's in this process and the music itself i mean even the electrical um you know the guitar and they can become almost like a sludge i mean it's a frequency this is there's an electrical energy um electromagnetic processes right that are that are going on um with music and that's why it's so central um you know like in china ancient china they every time the new dynasty came they would change the tuning and every instrument had to be tuned exactly and the music itself would create the almost the psychic texture the invisible garden out of which society would arise or the you know the, the society man earth and heaven these three tiers would be integrated um in a you know in a beneficial way um and so with the the um you know the the popular music um there's a lot of elements um that are inherent in just some of the rhythms that have been incorporated that have become tropes right some uh, other elements of even certain types of timbral effects um but then you know of course a deeper level is the uh, sort of psycho spiritual cleaving to your inner space your inner mind without you knowing it right the hidden inner mirror that lacan talks about so this is where you know it's good to know and be clear and then you can endure or not but these things actually can have quite I mean, you will say, okay, subtle, but potent, right? So it's not like, you know, you know, you're doing like some, you know, bad LSD at Altamont, which would be, what an awful experience that would be, right? But, but it's like, it, it, these things can color you. And in fact, that's what I've looked into, you know, I've, I have not, I have an outline and half this book written on a broken computer, but on this music, mind control, psychobiology thing, which was something that I didn't, you know, as I got into it, it goes on and on and on. And then you can literally see that the connection of the music is related to basically various ritual spaces that are created. And they're, they're like, these rituals are like rituals of dislocation, of fear, of control, of sep, you know, whatever you want to call them, whether it's uh, something like 9-11 or it's something like the Kennedy assassination or something like Altamont or something like Corona or whatever, maybe. Um, but these things are, they're cycled in the, there's like a temporal matrix, almost like this thing has been mapped out. And as they're taking the human race towards these endpoints, the, um, you know, the, the, the music itself is really important, right? It's almost like freezing time. It's like pulling us off of this timeline. Like everywhere you go, like the classic rock, I mean, you can't escape it, right? Okay, it is classic, right? But it's almost like you can see like, there's like this, you know what I mean? Like this end point. And then they're just recycling these models in these, I'm getting kind of abstract here, but. You know, no, no, not really. No, I can follow you. And I think other people can follow you. These you know, um, ritual frames. Um, and and so that's what. Well, Hendrix, like, Hendrix even plays a, um, a personal role in these ritual frames, right? So Jimi Hendrix really comes to everybody's conscious awareness in a big way with Monterey pop. Right. And he has this fire ritual at Monterey pop that blows, blow, blow, blows everybody away. Right. So Monterey pop is the initiation for the summer of love in the sixties. Right. This is what happens. And then there's a lot of weird endings and beginnings. So that's the beginning of Hendrix and really the ending of the mamas and the papas like they're, they're done. You know, and their role was to uh, John Phillips and what's his name, Lou Adler, their roles actually put this thing together. So Hendrix kicks it off 
And then by the time you get to Woodstock, he's doing the Star Spangled Banner. And, you know, that's like the apotheosis of, you know, between 67 and what, 69. And then, then Hendrix is also in Altamont, right? He's in the movie. He's, he's not on the stage, but he's in the movie at the beginning of the film. I, I did not. Oh, you know what? I don't, I didn't remember that. I mean, I you know, mix watching, you know, the first snuff film, you know, watching the, Jimi Hendrix is in the movie. Where, where, where? I don't, it's at the beginning. He's it's when, it's right at the beginning. He's connecting with, I think, Mick and Keith right at the beginning. Oh yeah, I remember. Film. Yeah. And like the dressing room. Yeah. And they're like, That's oh right. yeah. Yeah. They're like, oh, Mickey. All right, bloke. Just put your, you know, yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh, you're right. I, I totally forgot that. Thanks. For That's right. Up. So, yeah. so he, he's in the film, give me shelter. And then I think his last, if I'm not mistaken, public performance and festival was Isle of Wight. Isle of Wight. Yeah. Which, which is, which is a, kind of like the English version of Altamont. Mm-hmm. Like it gets really scary, very dark. And the other person who emerges in Isle of Wight is Leonard Cohen, who puts the entire audience in a trance. Like he completely NLPs the entire audience. Mm-hmm. So, and that's like, in, in a lot of ways, that's sort of like, you know, this weird bookend with Altamont, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. obviously Hendrix goes on from Altamont, I think to do Isle of Wight and then that's it. He's done. But he's this guy that comes in, he initiates that cycle with the fire ritual at Monterey pop. And then he's in, I think the last big festival Isle of Wight, which is again, a total nightmare. So he's this pivotal figure in this thing you're talking about. Well, you know, and that's that's why, in a certain way, like he's um, he's kind of a wild card, um, because this, and I got into this like very deeply with all the, um, and I like I said, I just this, this computer, the hard drive died. I had all my research on that. It's not the hard drive didn't die, but the computer died. But there's so much connection with these dates. You look at the date of the Kennedy assassination. You look at the date of Charles Manson. These a certain number of days in between, um, and so there's a lot of those in parallel. So we go back to the the end of the 1950s right so you have this new music that has just arisen um that you know was yes it had antecedents and you know blues you have the jump it comes from the jump r&b thing but it died it hit a brick wall you know with you know the uh, the, the whole plane crash and buddy hall etc buddy, buddy holly the day the music uh, died. But, but all of them got shut down what's um uh gene uh gene vincent got right. killed in a car accident in england right. um and uh you know what uh the, you know the, did, the, didn't the, it didn't eddie cochran die not long after that too yeah and then then other guys got you know busted for perving out with a 14 13 year old jerry, girl. jerry lee lewis Joe jerry right. lewis and, El- and, El- and um, elvis goes into the chuck, army chuck, chuck berry um, and and uh, no, but you look across the board, right. it, it was literally shut down. And oh uh, yeah, Elvis and the Army, it was shut down. And then you have a little stasis period, and then you have you know you have like you know Pat Boone, really, you know, and this kind of you know almost easy listing and a lot of novelty. And I have I'm yeah, that was when that was when the guitar surf music started to take off. But it was it was obscure though. It wasn't yeah. you know the mainstream was they had this like really kind of cheap like teenage teenager music right it was but like frankie you know, novel, Al- frankie, Avalon. frankie Avalon was big frankie Avalon yeah was big at that yeah, pop, yeah but super pop the whole rock thing it just it was gone um and but at the same time you have um and it's really interesting to look at the the children's records right that were played 
during like kindergarten daycare during the nap time there's like one from the 50s called i'm a little puppet it's really bizarre i have a clip of that somewhere but so this this programming is going on even in the 50s but you have this stasis and then of course then you have the lsd starting you know in the early 60s starting to come in right starting to generate um and then you have the beatles come as sort of they're still you know uh, you know you have i mean you know the the 50s you got your you know your groups your manic your manufactured you know the brill building with like supremes you know brill building is really important and i want to talk about them at some point because they all move west they all go to california they get into commercials they get into writing all i want to i want to touch on them and uh, so let's just put an asterisk there keep going yeah yeah so you have this but you have what i'm saying is that even the beatles are coming out of that you know you have the groups they're all where you know it's not the rock and roller it's it's you know it's very it's commercial pop so the beatles come in but they come in right at this exact interval from the jfk assassination they're actually actually the beatles first north american release takes place in canada on the day of the jfk assassination it's he they are directly connected yep. with the jfk assassination i've gone down i've gone down this rabbit hole okay you have okay great yeah i know exactly what you're talking about yeah it is even all these numerological significance with them yeah, and in yeah. fact when they first came the hysteria was fake right they hired people to do that it was they right. weren't the whole all that image everyone's screaming yeah but i want to hold your hand this is the beatles america we're picking you up and it was you know it was um it was that important and, and even um well michael often talks about also and I've, I've noted too you have the change in the fashions from you know wool and linen and silk to like polyester these bright like ugly colors happening at the same time then you have the the airdrop of the psychedelic 60s which really came from you know this the whole scene you know of course in san francisco the human being um but this it's it, it, so it kind of one thing you can think it took a long time it was just it's amazing like so i say 66 you know i well i say 63 of course is like phase one 63 66 is sort of a special that's a pivotal year this is like the the ritual year then right 67 to 1970 so you have also 67 to 69 but these periods are all very 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 deeply connected um and i'll say one last thing on, on this tip and um is that for example like the rolling stones right so the rolling stones came out as the bad boys and they but they would every the beatles released a record the rolling stones would come out even with a different I, i've got photos of all this so the album cover would be slightly different but it'd be like kind of dark right yeah right, aftermath right. you have like sergeant peppers their satanic majesty's like, request yeah, great yeah, yeah. but they have this back end book bookend like right, light right. and dark and yet of course you know well we can get that's a whole nother thing that yeah we, i mean i mean that's it i mean i you know i think you and i know that's tavistock programming i mean that's what's going on there between, between those two groups um i tell you a missing link and it just came to my mind when you were talking about this evolution and like this downtime between the end of rock and roll the day the music died and the birth of the Beatles. There's a genre that emerges during that time that, again, for me, is another manufactured genre for a very specific use and time period, and that's the folk scene. I was just thinking of that. I was going to mention that. You're reading, as like you're reading my mind, because that is so important, right? Uh, the folk scene, um, and then 
we could just fast forward to Leonard Cohen. I mean, Leonard Cohen has admit, you know, anybody's seen that that movie about the game show host who's actually like this assassin and right. you know, yes. Leonard Cohen. That was Leonard Cohen. I mean, he was deployed. He was he did do intelligence work and he did do assassinations. See, well, um, I mean, Leonard, Cohen, was, Leonard Cohen was in the IDF and was likely a Mossad Mossad agent. No, no, he, he did he did work in Central America. He did hits. Yeah. But he he, he was a member of the IDF. He was actually in Israel as a soldier in the IDF. Okay, so so I believe that he was drafted by the Mossad through the IDF to do that stuff. Yeah, and that the film about the game shows is called The Dangerous Mind about Chuck Barris. Yeah, Chuck Barris, but that's really more pertinently about Leonard Cohen. And Leonard Cohen is you know sort of he's connected with that, of course, that folk. The folk era, you know, there's a lot of, you have the flood, you have all kinds of, you have avant-garde classical music, you know, electronic music, you know what I mean, um, coming out all that time, you know, the New York scene, loft scene, but, um, but like Leonard Cohen, he has influence, but yet, of course, the guy can, has like a what, three note range, you know what I mean, he can, but he has these lyrics and these very deep songs that, and then you, like, you know, Lennon has it in a much simpler way of these, like, these are like, you, you know, induction, uh, you know, reverse induction, hypnosis, Ericksonian trance. Oh, in, he's, in an NLP, he's an NLP master. He's an NLP master. He puts that crowd in a trance at the Isle of Wight because they were going nuts on the probably the same badass that they had at Altamont. And he and he talks them into submission. And that is what, you know, there's so much that goes into that. I won't go into that whole aspect of the. The, the mental programming, right? That, that actually, it goes out to the society because this is something you and Cameron, and there's research on this. You have Kurt Lewin, you know, psychological topology. And you then, and uh, Cameron from the same McGill, McGill University yeah. where Leonard Cohen is associated yeah. with. Yeah, well, but uh, you and Cameron, the McGill thing was much later, right? Of course, you know, we, but he he was, his first really big gig was the, the social, um, the absolute, um, total reconstruction of German culture, society um, after World War II. So he was there and connected as almost like a sort of a, you know, cultural czar, very important in that post-war. And there was mad, there's a major rollout point of a lot of these techniques, technologies. And then though he worked on this group psychology stuff and mass induction stuff, for example, and he, he wrote, um, and these books now are all impossible to find, but he talks about insane musicians musicians that are mentally ill will will create men, mental illness or potential aspects of that in the audience and they will then spread that out into the society so it's like it's like the um it's that there's like a um uh you know you can catch you know that catch um you know mental illness but this is related to like magnetic theory and all this stuff that sort of disappeared from the literature but you know but anyways um but this but anyways this whole process is really fascinating because you can see all these juncture points and look at i mean manson was so important right manson you have manson and ultimate so you have these almost like two as you said these like bookends and i, I like bringing up isle of isle, isle of white you know what i mean um because yeah, yeah. it go, but go ahead no, no, no. I, I, yeah, no, I, I just, I keep going back to this whole folk thing. Cause to me, it's one of those chapters that a lot of people don't pay attention to. And it becomes the soundtrack for uh, the civil rights movement, 
and Martin Luther King and the whole protest generation, right? So the whole protest generation has its roots in this whole folk community. And a lot of those groups, they're all, you know, kind of as manufactured as some of the pop bands that come out of the Brill building scene, like Peter, Paul and Mary are totally manufactured, right? They're, and then, you know, one of their biggest hits is Puff the Magic Dragon, which I'm sure you probably have a lot to say about on some level. That's one of those children's tunes, right? And Yeah. And and when you, eat, and, and I was going to bring this up too, like when you get into the, like that genesis of the, the, the Brill building scene around circa 64, 65, a lot of the pop groups take on almost like, like baby talk. Like they have these phrases in their like goo goo gaga right yeah, absolutely yeah it's yeah. like i mentioned adolescent inf infantilizing it's right. you know and it's the kid kid songs but no sorry back to the folk i got i got routed rerouted yeah so the folk you know this was the movement for so this is def this is the this is also the transition from the beats the jazz beat scene right. into the hippie scene right yeah. so the folk scene um but the folk scene of course very important um you know with it was very much tied into the, the communist party like no i mean but actually you know when people i you know i remember you know it's like oh you know it's almost like the the marker of like some idiot oh they're talking about commies or communism no i mean there were active communist cells i've got all these like i've got absolute absolutely of these fbi report so these i mean we're talking about actual subversive cells like a pete tigger you know big time i mean these and, and so um and not only that though but it was so it's okay you're it's kind of return to the roots americana you do have um a, a number of artists you're know, coming out of you know like the bluegrass you know people it gave a new lease on life for some of these you know, folk musicians which is great i mean actual folk musicians but it was part of this coffee house scene it was also part of this bob dylan with his his lyrics right what are like first of all i mean a lot of people say oh man i love dylan dylan's great i mean let's be honest i mean the guy okay I may even do a Hendrix song before this closes. So a lot of people, I'm not going to say I'm a great singer. Maybe I, I, I suck, but I can sing a tune. Bob Dylan is a really bad singer. He, he had these songs that were like these epics, like Masters of War, you know, blow, you know, blowing in the wind, um, you, you know, um, and, you know, other other songs um, that, that were really, some were very interesting, but some of them also are just, you know, these riffing um you know um you know things that are they're literally they're they're hypnotic programming as well as you know he plagiarized having yeah. shit but bob dylan of course is a folk scene transitioning he goes electric, electric da, da, da. Yep, yep, and then yep. the electricity um and so you, what you can see is almost like a false dichotomy right you're coming out of the beats right and so a lot of that coffee house culture you know and that communist culture or whatever i mean commies actual infiltration of cells yeah. that are agents that are doing things very deliberately woody, woody guthrie was an avowed communist yeah right well, and, and woody and woody guthrie is like the john the baptist of the folk scene so uh yeah it's rife with those ideas so i don't know if you've gone in down this dylan rabbit hole but i used to work at this magazine in san francisco a long time ago and um the girlfriend of the of the editor of the magazine said that she knew the guy that wrote Dylan's lyrics. Okay. And, and I was like really interested in this. I'm like, 
you got to write a story about this. Like, come on, just interview the, he never did it, but that's stuck in my head. Like, okay, there's probably a really good chance Dylan didn't write his lyrics. And I, I'm not a huge fan of Miles Mathis. I like some of his stuff. I'm, I'm not a, an acolyte because I think some of his other stuff could be very misleading. But he did a really interesting piece on who wrote Dylan's lyrics. Okay. And he, and, and I think he's probably right. He thinks that Leonard Cohen wrote Dylan's lyrics because that there were only two people who could approach sort of the biblical imagery that shows up in Dylan's lyrics at that time. One of them is Paul Simon and the other is Leonard Cohen. And I think he's probably right. I think Leonard Cohen wrote that early canon of Dylan. And then Dylan has that weird, like, motorcycle accident, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? And then he's never the same after that. Britney Spears moment, yeah. Yeah. So you know, that, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? That's, um, you know, that that's... um. That's quite interesting, um, you know, and it, it could actually be uh, possible, um, you know, well, Dylan, I mean, there is there is a lot of there is a lot of plagiarism, okay, and stuff borrowed, but the, the, the conceptual thing and that roadmap and that complexity, Leonard Cohen um, would be a, a very interesting uh, candidate. Um, because what the, I mean, Dylan was connected, you know, in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, I mean, this with with com, you know, so he was linked in with some of these aspects because that guy came you know out of nowhere out of nowhere and there's artists that were really great um there's a guy that was this amazing like singer songwriter and if you could remember his name it'd be awesome you'd be great to tell me that but he um he did like one record he was a huge influence on all these other people someone dosed him he was out in england he got dosed he lost his mind he may even still be alive but he was it's like uh, you know one of the most tragic stories in music right this guy had the real talent he got taken out um but dylan was was you know i mean He's manufactured. Bob Dylan, let's just cut to the chase. Okay. He's a, he's a manufactured uh, individual symbol uh, for that time. He's created. Bob Dylan is created. And he's probably got Leonard Cohen writing his lyrics. He's coming out of this rich, fertile field of the, of the folk scene and the coffeehouse scene. And he, to your point, is going to be this bridge that is going to take that world into the world of electronics when he plays Newport and breaks out his guitar and people go nuts. Exactly. And think of how that was a huge deal, right? I mean, because because the folk, um, and one thing you know you can hear is yeah, mama great example though are some of these the, the whole the, the kids' music at that time is really weird, you know, especially from like 57 on. And I even have some I I get these, you know, you thrift store or whatever. I've got a whole collection of these things, they're really bizarre, but that folk scene um, it laid the groundwork because, in a sense, Bob Dylan is like a mythological figure. He's right. almost, he's like a god. I mean, he is, and he is this importance, like, you know, these songs blowing in the wind. I mean, what the, I'm not, I'm not going to swear on your show. You can't. What, what is it actually? Blowing <laughs> in the wind, here? man. The answer yeah, is blowing in the wind. That doesn't sound real affirmative to me, blowing right. in the wind, you know. Like so, what you find is like, like a rolling, like a Rolling Stone, right? Yeah. There's another one. There's another yeah. one for you. 
Yeah, but um, you see, what you find is a lot of these patterns, right? Um, you know, in just touching on the schismogenesis, which is these especially linguistic patterns of meaning, right? That are types of cybernetic linguistic systems that are embedded in some of these really iconic, um, you know, songs. Uh, you know, like the Beatles. Um, you know, you just look, start looking at their lyrics. Um, John Lennon, I mean, you know, on one level, it literally doesn't mean anything except for I'm just going to like drift around or this, that. But there's all, but if you look at these layers and certain words are emphasized, that's Ericksonian types of hypnosis where you talk right, right. and you, and you can put someone in a trance. Um, and that's not even the, the meaning semantic level, right, of it. But all this stuff is so encoded. Um, but then, yeah, he like said he's manufactured, but not only, like, you can't, I, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, like Leonard Cohen is maybe a you know manufacturer because I don't know. I don't it, know it, if Cohen is manufacturer. I think Cohen. Well, manufacturer. He's yeah, like no, he's no, he's a ringleader. Yeah. So Cohen is a handler. That's and I've talked to people. I I had a, I did a show one time with a woman by the name of Ann Diamond who for a period of time was handled by Leonard Cohen. He's a handler. So he's a he's a was a personal handler. He's a cultural handler. I think he was Dylan's handler. And part of the creation of Dylan. That that's my take on Cohen. I, I, I would uh um yeah, I, I've never I know people that know Miles Mathis. Um some of his stuff I have to say is like you don't certain things you're gonna destabilize yeah. your meaning. And, and it's not and when I see leaks of logic in certain senses, I hopefully, you know, he may be a great guy. I don't know him personally. I usually don't criticize yeah, yeah. others, but yeah. this sounds Completely on the money. I mean, that makes uh, it makes sense. I'm not. I don't buy his JFK thing, by the way, and I don't even buy his Manson thing. You know, so you. But the but the Dylan the Dylan deconstruction makes um, a lot of sense to me. So let I want to talk um, a little bit about this movement from New York, right? Because if you go back and look at, I think it's a very interesting movement. If you look at, say, the 1950s, which is what you're talking about, and even up into like around 65, 66, everything is happening in New York. TV is happening in New York. Theater is happening in New York. Uh, music is happening in New York, which is where the Brill Building comes into play. And for people that don't know the Brill Building, uh, it was this building that housed all these major singer-songwriters, mostly songwriters at the time, Neil Diamond, Doc Palmas, Laura Nero. And then they go west. They go west. They go to Hollywood. And then TV goes west, right? It goes from New York. They stop making shows. Carson goes from New York to L.A. And this is where all this stuff really starts to happen, right? And it's right around 64, 65. Well, that, that's a great point to bring up. And just to say something, I mean, you have... Uh, you know, things like this also in the, you know, the night, the jazz age and then, you know, pop songs then, but the Brill building was like, literally like, it's like a, you know, it was, it's, it's like a manufacturing plant. I mean, you just, you walk in off the street, you get lessons, you know, you get identity name, you know, how to dance, how to talk, you get your songs, you get your music, you get everything. It's like a full, it's a complete, you know, it's just, you literally, I mean, you just, they made, they did everything. In that building but yeah a lot of these songwriters um came out of there even like looking like steely dan and these guys these were songwriters. Right. they were yeah. composers um but um but see you know the 1960s you know you have 
these um like the, the trauma right of that you know the jfk assassination um but even the trauma that rock and roll era the freedom boom it shut down when it comes and it's like i said it's on when it comes back it's like boom you know in a god of you know whatever you know iron butterfly vanilla fudge um uh you know acid rock um total radical zoom i mean that's like that's like almost at it nowhere unless you're listening to like say albert eiler or free jazz right right but anyways yeah, back yeah. to the movement um so you have new york as a center and then because los angeles it was um even when you had a what's his name the dancer guy that, that, that was buddies with zappa you know that the the the, 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 the venus kalakis venus so i mean there was not much of a music scene it was basically lame Right? Strip there clubs. Were, LA was strip yeah, clubs. Yeah, there was no, I mean, it was not, <clears throat> I mean, there were, there were some, in certain areas, you know, there were some like kind of jazz clubs that were well known, you know, you play, but they're like up some nice restaurant up on the lighthouse or, you know what I mean? But it wasn't, and then there's all your coffee shops for folk music, you know, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, not, not for, not a club scene at all, period. You know, in fact, one of the worst places in the country, given the size of that state in the city so why shift there you know and look how fast that place yeah, is transformed just overnight just like almost over, from 64 to 66 it's like you know interstellar overdrive and and then this so to you brought this up earlier with the beatles and all the manufactured hysteria so when they had i think it was the birds was the first group that kind of we would play at the whiskey a go-go and this Vetus guy would bring his freaks down from Laurel Canyon and they would, they created the scene, right? Like they brought them in there and I've tried to find the, the video, but it's really hard to find now, but I, th I think it's Charles Corral and he's in LA and he's looking at this new scene called the freak scene. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And what's really interesting with that. Um, and, um, you know, we are sure everyone's familiar with all the whole Laurel Canyon thing. Um, but, but yeah, Laurel yeah, Canyon. Yeah, pretty sophisticated group here. Yeah. yeah you, Laurel Canyon, um, you know, has, you know, of course, the, the Air Force, um, you know, basically Air Force Media Center, right? Where they're producing, it's like a, you know, it's, it, it's this like hidden base on top of this hill that does create it constructs media it's a it's a full professional film studio i mean it's like a hollywood grade full-on production house you know as right, well right. as whatever other functions are doing but then you have this scene that's arising and then you know zappa is very interesting because there's a lot in zappa the song like who would know they'd freak out in minnesota minnesota freak out in boston he's talking also about Ken Kesey's route with the magic bus, the Mary Pranksters. Zappa talks about a lot of this stuff. As he does, about. he talks about a guy from the CIA that's hanging out in the Laurel Canyon in one yeah, of his scenes. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna sleep on. I'm gonna, you know, wear a rug and sleep on Owsley's floor. You know, all these these songs. You know, what's there to live for? Let's join the Peace Corps. I think I'll just drop out. You know, really. But that the thing is, those a. Number one, it's interesting is that that mass movement had not yet really occurred with, you know, or was maybe the inception when Zappa's writing these, you know, analytical, you know, things about these, you know, you know what I mean? And Zappa was a, 
You know what I'm saying? That, that he, he was writing about this meta-analysis of the stuff sometimes before it actually was really blown up. But he's up. also in it. Like, Zappa's also in the well, yeah. scene. He's right. in the scene. The, yeah, v- yeah. Vinny and they, they, they're dancing at his his shows. Um, you know, my dad, he saw he saw Zappa back in um, in, in uh, Berkeley. And I think the only thing he remembered was like the fuck song or something. He had this, but it was like this crazy scene. But, you know, um, what I'm saying is like uh, all these things are like included in the like, it's almost like a cast of characters. It's like a pantheon, you know, right. it's being rolled out. Um, and um, but yeah, so so that 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 thing you know coming out um but try just think of the time scale like so we can think of like to get a sense of like duration think about corona beginning and now to me like that like, past year and a half almost like you know i mean i was doing it, it, it equals that time scale really from about 64 to late 65 early 66 it is a completely different world and it's it changed the entire it's not like something that happened that just went away you know what I mean? It's not like, you know, hula hoop craze or something, you know, it's, right. it's like this, it's transformed society, right, you know, right. transformed our, our, you know, um, in a very you know, comprehensive way in certain ways. I mean, I mean, like Jim Morrison, I mean, I'll say at least a number of these, these quote unquote artists, right. Thing is I go, you know, I have a more critical sense. Some of them are really not that good. Right. I mean, the Beatles who say their music, pretty pretty high quality music whatever you know whatever else is there they at least you know it's interesting it's well it's amazingly well produced i mean i was you know i'm doing production like sergeant peppers that's one of every you can hear every single voice even you can keep listening to the depths of that record it's almost like infinite like you can this you can hear like just even the the click you know on the hi-hat you can hear like the little the slider and you can hear you know like even like minor the sound of the pedal, the hot, I mean, it's, it's amazing. I mean, these are like what I'm saying, the depth of that recording is insane. I mean, very, right. You know, present day past 15, 10 years, everything's compressed, you know, this compression stuff. So it's all fly line, but the, that, that Sergeant Peppers, man, I mean, listen to it. And like, how, how's that's never been done before since, you know, that's what I want to know is, you know, but anyways, um, the flat flattening of the, the perspective, uh, but this transformation, um, really, you know, it, it, it's, I think it's important to understand where we are right now. I mean, I think, cause we're still, we're still in this era, right? We still, the sixties are still alive for us in a certain way, you know, they in, a certain, in, a, in a certain way, I think they are in another way they're, uh, oh boy, I think, I think they're, I think they're dead. And when I say dead, I'm talking about like, uh, no offense to, uh, the boomer generation out there. Cause, I know a lot of them, a lot more cool people, right? But um, the, the the ideas, the ideals, and the things that they, you know, stood for during that period of time, these are the same people that are, you know, getting, uh, you know, jacked up and, uh, you know, urging other people to get jacked up. So, yeah, it's still with us in some ways. It's completely uh, dead and barren. So um, I wanted to ask you about, uh, you, you said some interesting stuff on the on Jan Irvin show and it had to do with Owsley and Owsley's background in technology and uh, the emergence of these people it's not just um, like a, a manufactured scene with a message but it's also the technology that comes along during that time 
to amplify that message. You want to talk a little bit about this major shift in technology that takes place? Yeah, well, you have, um, I'll get back to this. I just had, I was going to bring, read some quotes about, you know, the, psych, the psychophysiological effects, even going back to jazz, like what it can do to the nervous system, the body. And this is stuff that was written at the time contemporaneous. But I'll, I'll go to your question first, because um, it, it sort of it relates um, that uh, I thought you were going to read my mind again. That's what, but uh, basically, you know, with the Princeton Radio Project, right? So you have, um, you have Henry Cantrell's doing a lot of these experiments with these immersive sort of holotropic environments. So it's not, it's not like you're going into a movie theater, but it's like this sound, light, even fragrances, you know, mute, but it's not even music, you know, different speakers. It's, like it's like a sensorium. Sensorium. Yeah, exactly. Like an LSD experience. Right. And there's, yeah. there's a, there's a film, um, which unfortunately not recalling the name of, but there's a film that has a very famous scene um, that was, well, famous, somewhat famous around, you know, late 50s, early 60s, black and white thing, but it has, this guy's taken into this sort of, this mind control chamber that's very similar to this sort of immersive experience, you know, that, that uh, Cantrell's working at with the radio project. Um, but so you have this advent of, you know, technology. Um, and you, so, but the technology, first we have to understand is that, well, you have guitar amplifiers, you know, you have, uh, um, you know, going back to the, you know, playing in the big band in the 1930s, so you still have your initial amplifiers. As long as you have a TV, you know, your radio thing, there's a way to amplify a signal, your loudspeaker, you know, so that's not really new. Um, but you, you, what you have is this integrative aspect, um, which, which I'm tying it into this Cantrell thing of this sensorium, where you have, for example, um, you know, let's say the aspect of the body and movement, the relational body, right? So your body, you enter a space, what space are you in? How are you relating? You, you know, these are things that are mostly unconscious to most people, right? But you have, I mean, you can be conscious of it, but most of the time you say you're going to a concert, you're almost part of a herd. So you're no longer necessarily you know, you're, you're basically being, you just jumped into a stream or a river and it's pulling you along. But so, but to get people to the point where they'll be, let themselves be subjected to some of this stuff that started to happen um, because it was, um, so you have Ken Kesey, you know, and his, his band um, that was really part of the um, the research phase of this, and this is, you know, 63, 64, you know, whatever, um, um, this was, you know, coming out and probably, I, I, I can go into detail about Ken Kesey, but you know, his, his cover story of just, oh, I was, you know, I had this job. Working at, working at Stanford, uh, in the, in the psych, psych ward, right? He was, well, he was well, an well, orderly, right? Was, yeah, no, was, he, well, he was, well, he has it like he was in, um, even though he, he at the university it's more like he worked he kind of put it across oh i worked as an orderly in a mental hospital that's right yeah that sanford thing is usually not mentioned but he just does a test he gets to do a test um and he's an all-american guy right he's a you know what i mean like jack he's a wrestler he's a wrestler from oregon you know yep. that's where he comes from yep yeah like jack kerouac you know the all-american boy the alpha male sacrifice on the altar of the beat generation right that's mm -hmm. another he's another figure but he has that kind of charisma um of Kerouac, he takes LSD, suddenly 
instead of just being this sort of working class stiff, he writes Wonderful of the Cuckoo's Nest, right? Which is about what? It's about the, the insane are actually sane. Right. right? The world yeah, you see around point. you. Very interesting point. The world you see around you is actually a prison. You think you're free. You're in a mental prison. You know, all these societal rules, everything around you is a prison, um, right? And this was very, a very important idea. This idea of schizophrenia or insanity being a type of sanity, being connected with creativity, being connected with, you know, mystical spiritual states. At the same time, you know, you have similar people trying to, you know, they have these things where they throw out like Bateson, um, you know, or Artie Lang, the divided self, right? So Artie Lang. Yeah, if you ever read Knots, you want to go insane. Like, just if you want to go insane, just read Knots by Artie Lang. That's all you got to do. Yeah. But so, so I'm just getting background for the technology, right? So this is yep. there also. Um, and so you so you start with, you know, it really starts with the acid test. Um, the acid test, um, you know, where and this was done. I mean, I, I've I've watched may, much, much footage, you know, of the actual what the actual acid tests were like. OK. And so it's like you walk into this house, um, you got the Grateful Dead. You know, Jerry's never entering, meandering, you know, major pentatonic. You know, come on, Jerry. You ever, yeah, was good. Jerry's all right. But, but, anyways, you got the Grateful Dead playing, you know, kind of half ass blues rock. They weren't that, you know what I mean? They're not, they would jam out, but they weren't, you know, we're not talking like, you know, it was like Hendrix and Stevie Winwood, you know, and, you know, Billy Cobham and, um, you know what I mean? Like some musicians with, Miles Davis band, you know, you know what I mean? Like really good musicians that are improvising in that kind of environment. Sun Ra Orchestra, how about that? Right, you know, right, you got right, the Grateful right. Dead as your house band, you know, yeah. and, and where they're doing, you know, and, and but they're, they're doing a lot of these folk songs kind of, you know, too, that they're just rocking up, right? But right. anyways, all these lights, sounds, and speakers, a lot of the, um, the stuff there's like really crazy. Can you hear my voice? One, two, can you know, like weird, you know, really friggin' disturbing, man. You know, yeah. not like you think it's like, oh, you know, it's acid test. I'm like, you know, this is like, you know, this is an induction of this is basically, you know, I'm sure you're aware of photic driving, right? So you have yeah. you have types of uh, psychic driving um, in certain ways, right? And what, you know, of course, rhythm, sound, this, that semantic lyrical meaning but light photic driving is very important you can induce all these um you know trance hypnotic states just by you know varying uh you know flicker rates um with different you know different um side you know wherever the, the lights you know the positioning of lights going on and off colors um all the you know the, the light show so the whole 60s light show evolved out of um you know research that was done um in a lot of different areas and I, I can go to that, you know, maybe later or not. Well, you, you and Cameron does some of that research, the psychotronic stuff and psychic driving. So I think there's probably some level of psychic driving in this, but applied to um, maybe a, a kind of a, a different, I don't want to use the word standard, but they were using different, different tools, different aesthetics. No, it was well, no, well, no, it's not. Um, I'm just saying like the science, like the photic driving, but that's also really important. So just to go to the technology. So the light technology, the visual uh, technology, then you have 
um, which Owsley was instrumental in, was building this whole new generation of sound equipment of really getting, especially really total different arrays of the, the frequency spectra, right? Like very low bass frequencies, like all kinds of stuff and having these being clear. Um, he did a lot of work um, with Dead, but, and so he helped, you know, you know, a lot of the, you know, the whole uh, sort of sonal environment we live in right now. But the technological aspect um, was um, that, you know, again, what I'm saying to me, it's just coming from, you know, the, well, the psychic driving, if you look at that, you know, the, 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 the photo everyone's seen of the person in the Ewan Cameron experiment, you know, the black and white photo, you know, I mean, that that's basically what this is. This right. was a type of psychic driving. In this case, though, you were not involuntarily, you know, subjected to drugs. You were taking them voluntarily. Right. Um, you know, I mean, and, and, you know, then that's a big part of it. Um, the LSD and all kinds of different stuff. I mean, you know, if you've heard, I'm sure you're aware, you know, you, as um, I was doing this, you know, just going in and looking at what it was like at the film or what it was. I mean, the amount there was a lot. Uh, maybe the weed wasn't as strong as it is now, but there was a ton of stuff going on. All kind, you know, fear and loathing. That's it. You know, fear and loathing environment. Right. It wasn't just. You know, what I mean, there's lots of drugs um, and this is these events. Um, and, and so you have to get the individual being willing to subject themselves to that. You know, what I mean, and I've had I mean, that's why I remember that kind of got me out of I remember going to certain shows, rock shows. And I'm like, this is not this is doing something bad to me. I don't know. You know, what I mean, I, I need you know what, what, I mean? show, I, what, what show which and your, can you remember what show that was? Oh, God, I remember, um, you know. Early Jane, no, it wasn't. Jane's Addiction actually was pretty good. I saw early Jane. I saw Nirvana when uh, Kurt. They were before they were popular. I was like, right, yeah. I lived in Olympia, Washington, and they were hanging around there just yeah. before they became um, big. You know, specifically, um, I, I can't. You know, at this moment, I can't say. I mean, I, I know I can. There's certain things like you know, like this rave, this like techno thing. Uh, but there was there, but it was not. Let me to specify. It wasn't just one. It was like, and it may have even been some kind of, you know, it may have been something like throbbing gristle or, you know, uh, butthole surfers, you know, something in that, you know, like that. But that. So you, so you saw throbbing gristle. Yeah. Okay. We need to bookmark that return to that. Okay. But that, um, you know, that I started to experience that same thing in other contexts. In fact, I was, playing like a festival, some kind of a hippie thing. And, you know, and, and I wasn't, you know, and I could feel this whole chemical thing of all like the, you know, the, whatever people want. It was like this whole presence, you know, it was just like, you know what I mean? And it wasn't, you know, I was just doing some whatever uh, blues rock jam shit, whatever. But it was like, I could sense, I could see this thing spreading out. It was so visceral to me. It was like a cloud almost of that, the energy that's getting, out there from the music, especially with the, the drugs, it doesn't necessarily have to be even a really big artist, but I started really noticing, noticing that. Um, and, and, you know, I avoided certain things, but I mean, I, I have now, now I know why. Right. But I'm kind of glad. I think that, you know, because you get pulled into a scene, right. That's the thing when you're, you know, when you're, you know, you know, late teens, early twenties or whatever, you're pulled into a scene. It's part of your, your friends. It's, you know what I mean? It's, so you go to these shows, you go, oh, we're all taking LSD. Aren't you going to take LSD? You know, this, that, you know what I mean? So it, it has that. And 
it's um i, I don't know I, I i felt like i was the only one witnessing this right, uh, but right. it got so bad that i saw like um i'm gonna go jumping ahead but I, I saw like this it was like a vision i stepped into this future world that we're kind of inhabiting now and that's probably one of the reasons i went to india because it was just everywhere i mean i i could it was like this I mean, I'm sure if I want to bring that back to my consciousness, I'd, I'd rather not. But I'm, I'm not saying it's any better. It's probably far worse, right? But I'm saying that like this was like permeating. Like you know, what I mean, it's like that vibrational space that's permeating the culture. You know, what right. I mean, right. and, and whether the music is an outgrowth of that or the music is conditioning of that, they're both part of the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so the sensorium just to fast forward technology it's it's the future it's 5g it's 6g it's our brains implanted you know permanently in the in in the, the hive mind uh computer it's it's people whole lives being playing video games and social media you know what i mean people that kill themselves they don't get enough likes that's that is what you can see the birth of that hive mind in the 60s like you it, that is the genesis of the hive mind definitely yep Yep, that's a great way of connecting it. Um, okay, so what do I want? There's a couple of things I want to ask you about. Let's talk. I want to go back to Thriving Gristle. Okay, let's talk about Thriving Gristle for a minute. And a lot of people may not be aware of Thriving Gristle, but one of the members of Thriving Gristle is a guy by the name of Genesis P. Orridge, who is, uh, I, I actually met Genesis one time. It was, it was creepy. He's a creepy, creepy, creepy <laughs> He's dude. really creepy. Creepy dude. But when you were talking with Jan, I just want, I wanted to jump into the conversation because you guys were talking about the Rolling Stones. You're talking about Altamont and you were, there was something else that you were really, really close to, but you weren't quite there. And I, and I was talking with uh, Mr. Cruz about this. I said, you know, I really wanted these guys to like talk about Morocco and the place that the role that Morocco plays in this entire scene, right? Because you've got Brian Jones going to Morocco, hanging out with Bashir Attar, the master musicians of Jajuka. And then you've got this whole other scene with Peter Whitehead and Howard Marks and William Burroughs and Paul Bowles and uh, Brian Geisen, who, and these are all the antis, the, the, the precedence of Genesis P. Orridge and Throbbing Gristle. Like that's the scene that ultimately he kind of emerges out of in some ways. Can you dive into this Morocco thing? Cause I think it's like one of the big missing pieces. Well, that's, that's interesting. You, you know, you brought that up um, because uh, the, um, you know, William S. Burroughs. Um, so we have like different figures. I'm not going to, go on to this i'm getting this i feel like i get ideas like seeing this almost like this hierarchy you know what i mean it's like this whole array but you can see someone say like william s burroughs um you know in in uh, morocco brian jensen you know with the the he had the the trance the, the dream machine it's the, the dream, dream machine, machine. and that's that, right yeah, yeah i actually made i made one of those i had a, <laughs> a turn you know to get a turntable and change the speed and that's that's exactly it. that's voted driver right but um so william s burroughs you got this sort of this 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 um connection of the the beats but this is where the intel aspect becomes a little more apparent of the beat generation right mm -hmm. so well jack Kerouac is becoming you know this uh fat 
slug. Um, anyone who doesn't know Jack Kerouac, he wrote On the Road. Um, he's really an iconic Dar figure. Dharma Bums is another one of his, his yeah, works. Dharma Bum. Yeah, but anyways, um, yeah. so, you know, so Burroughs is there, um, you know, and has Intel contacts, experimenting a lot with drugs, you know, looking for for Yage. Um, so you have this sort of almost this cauldron, right? It's almost like this is like the sorcerer's cauldron where they're making the potion to go carry back to the mainland and, you know, and get everyone in the the, the, the trance, right? So it's kind of more advanced, you know, and also a lot of debauchery, of course, wearing those boroughs. Well, they're, they're, it's, it's, a, it's a hotbed for young boys. They're going to Morocco to hang out with young boys. That's part of it. There's a, there's a lot of hashish in Morocco. And then you have this, sort of expat, like, um, I don't know, this weird expat scene. And then musically, you've got this trance music that is going on in the background, this Ganawa music, the Bashir Attar and the master musician. And, the, and the, the, this, it's, it's not just music, but it's also connected to this tribal culture, which, is, which plays a role in all this whole thing. So it's really a trippy kind of like environment, right? This, it, and yeah, the Intel part of it, I think is like a, a, a big piece, right? And I'm sure there's other players here that I'm, that I'm missing along the way. Um, who's a, a Burroughs lover was um, uh, the, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, the, like a guy, he's like very important, like developing artificial intelligence. He's a big mathematics guy, very super famous mathematician. He broke, I think he broke the whatever World War II. Uh, oh, the co I know who you're talking about. But, yeah, uh, but yeah, he was, he was, he was one of, um, but yeah, well, I mean, I haven't, honestly, like the Morocco scene, I haven't, uh, you know, I, the connections, uh, I haven't thought about it that much, but it, it is quite interesting. Um, you know, in the, well, the trance music, what you have is sort of a technology, right. Of inducing trance, right. Of states. And in yep. case this is being used for, um, you know, what well, can be used a lot, a lot of stuff. I mean, my, my first book, which I wrote, you know, I was living with this tribe in the Him Himalayas in uh, Northwest India. It's called Trance Ritual and Rhythm. But but they, so this particular group, they used, you know, these very weird and kind of complex rhythms to, you know, their whole society was based on becoming possessed by different entities. Um, even the, the, in the court, you know, the, the, um, the, uh, the, the judge, the court, even that the legal disputes were centered by these mediums. Like they, they had to go. So it was the whole area was like where the Mahabharata took place. So it's, you know, very, very remote area, but there are all these like, you know, relics and stuff. But like, for example, you know, like one trance, you have to put your hand in molten metal and hold it there and bring it out. Then you prove you're in trance. If you're not in trance, it's going to burn your hand off. Right. But, but they have, you know, like there's this huge iron ball and you know, your trance, you pick it up and throw it. Right. But anyways, this was there and it was a possession in trance, trance possession. That's very important also in the Jujuku. I mean, they're summoning spirits. So it's not, you know, you know, we think of, as we think of music, you most would think of it more as a technology, right? Right. Uh, you'd say a, a spiritual or, or psychic technology um, that's being, that can be deployed in different ways, right? And so in that case, it's not so much about, you know, it's not about like say the, the lyrics or it's about the rhythms, the tones, the specific frequencies, the whole thing put together, taken apart as an apparatus that can be installed into a rock band, for example, to take some of these aspects 
um, you know, for induction of trans or whatever, you know, I mean, even so that, that, that that's one, you know, potential aspect, but you have more to say about Morocco. Have you seen yeah, the movie? Yeah. So, so Genesis Pete, I think he kind of comes out of that world a little bit. Like there's another, there's other elements, um, you know, with the London scene that uh, he is connected to, but he comes out of that, that kind of Morocco world, which is, have you ever looked into Peter Whitehead? You know who Peter Whitehead is? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've, in the past, I have. But, but I would say with Janice Bjorich, um, one aspect here is the the ritual occult aspect, of course, because right. Janice Bjorich is very much, I mean, that's, you know, this is like sort of the... Uh, you He's know, a the, Thelemite. He's a Thelemite. Yeah, yeah. Thelemite and also probably, you know, other other orders. Um, so this is, this is very, you know, um, of course, he's very direct about that. I mean, that's kind of part of his identity, but then of course, most people say, oh, it's just, it's art, you know, like Mabria Abramovich, right? I mean, it's right. just art, but, so go, go ahead, your, your point. No, no, I, so Genesis is this, um, he, he, Peter, Peter Whitehead was um, a filmmaker and he did some films of the Rolling Stones. And then he winds up going to, um, I believe like it's Morocco, and I think I think that's the main area that he hangs out in. But he winds up marrying into the Goldschmidt family, which is one of these really powerful English families. And I think one of his daughters dies. It's like a we. There's always these weird deaths around these people too, right? Like when Keith Richards gets that house in the south of France and they, they uh, create, they, they record exile on main street there. Right. There's a guy who, who was a young kid that was there in that house. His father was a photographer for the stones at the time. And he wound up becoming an actor and he was the husband of um, what's her name, Patricia Arquette on the TV show medium. Okay, this is the dude, right? So he's in this documentary with about this period of time where they're doing exile in Main Street in this place in the south of France. His mother dies during that the recording of that record. And it, there, there's, there's almost always these weird deaths, these ritualized deaths that go along with, you know, these figures, like just like with, Peter Whitehead and, you know, the death of one of his daughters. And then you see this kid's mother dies during the recording of this, uh, this record with the stones. There's just all these really just bizarre links with these different people and these different scenes. And, and there's like this strange six degrees of separation, right? There's like, you know, like a, a very little um, uh, space between like the stones and Brian Jones and Jajuka and then Kenneth Anger and the Manson family. Like it was like, like, you know, dark pearls on a string. And it's just so bizarre how all these forces come together. And some of which I think is, is planned. And, and I'd like your thoughts on the unplanned aspect of this. And when I talk about the unplanned aspect, it's like the occult forces that bring these people together, like the unseen world. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, that's, um, that's quite interesting. I, I, I was uh, actually the choice of the on. I had a bunch of pictures I was going to show of just all these different things, but you know, how the sort of e e inclusions of sort of occult aspects into culture or society, you have like, um, 
you know, Bewitch, you know, I, I dream of G, even that seems like, a right. Movie. You were talking about on Yon show and then yeah, I, yeah, I did. it's okay. like, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But so there's, um, you know, you find like re really, um, and I, I started getting into the stones a lot. The stones are much, much darker than you think. I mean, they're not, you know what I mean? They're really, they were deep, you know, at least Keith Richards and uh, Mick, you know, were definitely, you know, engaged in, you know, black ritual occult stuff. Oh, I, I heard that they would actually go to, go to America and that that they would um, actually have adrenochrome rituals, right, with young black kids because they were really interested in the melanin. Like they were like that was their thing. Uh, and they would go to L.A. and that that's where it would take place. That that's that's wild, I right? And there and there there. By the way, there the rumor is that there was also some level of cannibalism involved as well. So, well, that's what's that beggars banquet. You know, album cover. Bring yep. that up. Yeah, I've I've been using only my actual brain. I've not even looked anything up on the internet here. So, but uh, yeah, no, that that's it. That's it. Well, that's um. You know, I'll, I, I'll find I, it for you real fast. I saw, um, you know, stuff sort of alluding to that, but I couldn't get, you know, totally clear um, ev evidence. But, but um, what is it like? Let it bleed. I'm trying to think of one of these album covers. One of them, they have like the, in the. I think it's the inside. They're having like a, a feast, right? And I think there's. Yeah, it's in Beggar's Banquet. But I think there's a. Uh, there's not, I think it's supposed to be like a corpse or something on there, but okay. It's, like on the, it's on the inside and okay. uh, I'll, yeah. I'll bring up the, I'll bring up the, uh, the cover here or it's not, it's not the cover of the image. So that's what you're talking about right there. Right. Yeah. And there is, there's like a double spread though. Oh, that is it. The, yeah, there's okay. But anyways, um, there's a lot of stuff in that picture and there's actually, there's a, uh, fold out and there's you know other aspects so i mean yeah it, the unplanned like is it that um you can bring up um uh their satanic majesty's request that's kind of a fun cover also right. <laughs> but, uh, but but to what extent you know this this ties in very well this ties into you know son of sam Pro I mean, process church is a very big you know aspect of this right process church and other uh, connected orders that goes back with the Beatles. Um, you have this, um, even Funkadelic, right? It was way into the process church. Um, well, that's interesting. I did, I did not know that. That's oh yeah. Maggot brain. They have a, they have a, if you're tripping and listening to the maggot brain on the back cover, they have this text, right? There's like some weird, I think it's like a skull or whatever. And then there's, there's a text of a process church, like a paragraph from the process church. You know what I mean? That, you know, you can see it, but you have to kind of really look at it to read it. But they're these, these clowns, you know? No, but, um, so go, going back yeah, is that, is here's, the, Sat here's Saturn, right? Here's Saturn, yeah, right, right exactly. at the top. Interesting. There's a lot of different uh, symbolism in that, you know. You can, because this is like, you know, this kind of thing is meant. This is like, uh, you know, that subliminal advertising, right? It's meant to affect you subconsciously. It's a lot of these, even just like a lot of the song lyrics, right? It's you're gonna see something there, and then it's gonna, all the other stuff is gonna be totally subconscious, you know? What I mean, and it's influence, um, and a lot of this stuff is like that but um so back to your question is this you know was all this occult stuff 
um, plan because it also was a, a very big subtext, right? The whole, right. I think, and the Moroccan thing ties into that. Yeah. Um, you know, the, you know, the aspects, you know, you have, of course, you have the whole beat, the side, side rail of the beat, but then you have also, you have all these um, uh, spiritualist movements, you know, in the, California is a hotbed for like in the night from the 1980. I, I lived there, man. I, I grew up in California. I was a ground zero. Like when, you know, my parents took me to um, San Francisco a couple of times. We drove through Haight-Ashbury during the summer of love when I was a kid. And uh, it was fucking nuts. It was, I mean, really, I mean, I, I swear to God, we're driving through Haight-Ashbury and it looked like it, it was seething. The streets were seething with people and they had their shirts off and they're, they're I mean, look, dancing. And, and it's like, they looked like they were insane. Like I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a seven year old kid and I'm like, these people are nuts, right? That's what it looked like. It was an, it had the vibe of an open air insane asylum now. And I'm sure they were like having all kinds of great experiences around love and free sex and all that shit. Right. But from an outsider, from a seven-year-old's perspective, it looked completely nuts. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh that's, you know, I mean, the Grateful Dead, there's a lot of stuff also in the Grateful Dead. These bands, you don't think of the Rolling Stones as being really a, uh, a cultic or Grateful Dead, but these these oh, guys... Oh, they are. Oh, no, they are. They are. And the in, this is where, what I mentioned, the influence is coming. You're feeling it. It's it's more, it's deep. It's much more, you know, powerful than... I, I don't know, Throbbing Gristle, you know, they're kind of more of that theater-esque type of thing. But, you know, they're all tied in. I mean, Kenneth Anger... Um, you know, Kenneth Anger, of course, a disciple of Alistair Crowley. And so he, and it, this ties directly into Manson. You got Bobby Boussoulet. Mick Jagger was supposed to star as, as Lucifer and Kenneth Anger's um, dreadful film, Lucifer Rising. It right, such right. a, finally got like an original uncut version. Like, this is like, this guy sucks ass. No, but he did some very interesting avant-garde films. And that's, and the guy, the guy that did the uh, Smithsonian Anthology of World Folk, right, has the alchemical symbol, the alchemical processing of humanity. He picks a lot of really weird, dark currents of American music for that anthology. There's a very important influence of that, that, that release in the, of the, was it probably 1960, something like yep. that. But the guy, yep, yep. but the guy that compiled that was also an experimental filmmaker who is connected with Kenneth Anger. Um, and that was connected very much with the whole, you know, folk scene or, or people. It actually was people that wanted to get something deeper than was being played on the regular folk scene, right? Was so, it H Harry Smith? Is that, is yeah, that yeah, Harry it? Smith. Yeah. So yeah, this, yeah. and look up some of his movies. They're very odd. Um, and actually Kenneth Anger's uh, experimental films. Um, mm. And so uh, I'm jumping around a bit, but there's a movie, um, the, what is it? The, 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 the Demon, right? It was the, um, this was made, um, it, this is totally a true story. It doesn't even seem like it's real, but some of the original filmmakers, got, well, especially this one guy in France, was it was very much connected with like occult, like ritual stuff. And the films, there's several films that things happen when people watch them, including this film, um, Night of the Demon or whatever, when it was first played, the, the, the audience completely literally went into a violent frenzy or else like literally like an orgy or like just trying to kill someone next to you, you don't even know right it was mass insanity it happened in multiple places it was shown it was thought to be lost it was shown in you know france for a select audience the same thing happened when this wow. 
black and white silent film was played. Um, and that's an example of the, you know, the entry of, you know, other types of energies um, into that film. So that's an interesting case though, right? To, to see, and you know, it's relatively obscure, but when you look at these sort of, you know, the occult circles and not, you know, your new age bookstore, but people not even lowers or levels above or behind even what Crowley was doing because Crowley was more of a, he was a public figure, you know, even when he had his like, you know, island and he had, you know, ruined, had, the, you know, drove these people insane, right? You know, they did come and stay with him or, you know, whatever, but, 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 you know, these circles, right? And so the filmmaking was connected with that. This goes into certain avant, avant-garde film eventually connects with um, certain composers, right? Of when electronic music starts to be produced, you know, from the late fifties, um, right, you know, right. even, well, John Cage, I won't necessarily so bad, but so this electronic thing and all that, that merges, that merges back through, after the technology, you know, through, it merges also into the Grateful Dead, merges into sort of the rock spectrum as well, um, the trance, trance music. So I, I just did like four points in one sentence, but no, 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 I, no, it, no. It it totally makes sense. And, and one of the things that I that I keep coming back to, you know, in this conversation in my head, because you have all of these influences that are swirling around. I mean, if you, and a lot of people who are watching this were probably there in the '60s and the '70s. I mean, I was there especially during the '70s. It was immersive. The culture was immersive from uh, commercials. Commercials adopted like the whole plastic fad um it was it was like plastic psychedelia plastic pop you know it, so they were trying to sell products but it wasn't just the commercials you had a show like the monkeys which is this created group specifically created um and and that and again sort of mainstreaming a lot of the things that we're talking about right it becomes this mainstream vehicle for goofiness for extended adolescence for you know kind of being these wise asses right and so it's immersive and the immersion changes a bit during the 70s but it's still immersive and 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 i you know and i, and I participated in that right like i was in these different scenes and you know, and I was into exploring consciousness, you know, because it was immersive. This is it's kind of what you did, right? And so what they what they created was this um, feeling of immersive consent by being inundated with these influences, which is, and, and maybe you can confirm this, but I think it's a really subtle form of psychic driving, right? And through this subtle form of cultural psychic driving, they create this um, immersive collective and individual consent along the way. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, yes, uh, well, psychic driving is one aspect. Um, so, you know, what you have is um, the experience of the world is mediated by images that are seen on a television right, when there was three television channels, right, and television was a lot, even though people were, you, know, well, you couldn't watch it all day, but it was, you know, very important, right, the film, and it would, it could um, impact, so your your language changes, right, I mean, when you see an image, your mind is, it, it goes on that connection between the mind and the image, um, 
with the psychic driving, what that does is allow the implementation of the programming, right? right. So that's more of a, that's more the, the carrier wave, right? The right. vector. Um, and so the psychic driving through the stimulation, and then there's all of these aspects that are um, tied together. Like, for example, you have the monkeys, right? So the, you look at monkeys and you look at um, Yellow Submarine, okay? And the Beatles and then Magical Mystery Tour also, but the Beatles movies, which are, you know, considered to be kind of throwaway, but there's a lot of stuff in there of how this is being written into your brain almost. It's like there's a relational field of all these characters that you know of diff these different emotions of these types of reactions even of influences to engage in certain types of behaviors or you know almost going into your own personal issues and then merging with it we're talking about cultural artifacts we're talking about um you know behavior we're talking about song lyrics we're talking about the sounds permeating the space and even it goes into eventually it can become a subconscious thing that you're not even aware that this array of noise That's exactly is what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's immersive, right? It is an immersive environment where you're being hit with, especially during the like it's happening now in a different way, because you can't find a commercial now that that has like a, a white male in it unless he's gay, right? So it's a different kind of immersion. But 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 it was like, on a commercial level, on a musical level, right? Um, and um, on a fashion level, um, on a product level, like there was this immersion. And and there's also, and I think maybe this ties into your uh, schizogenesis, right? That while this is happening, you have all these traumatic events going on in the background, right? You starting with Kennedy, and you just go through the Vietnam War and, and you've got the assassinations. So on the one hand, you've got this immersive cultural kind of medium that people are being soaked in. And then there's this undercurrent of trauma again and again and again. Is Does this tie into this idea of schismogenesis? Um, well, it, 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 it does. Um, it ties, you know, my thing I was working on this model of looking at all these seeing how they recycle events, seeing what programming, like looking at the kids' records, seeing what kids listen to or children's programs, and then you see things that come later, right? And it doesn't, I would just qualify when you say immersive, it doesn't, it's not immersive, like, for at least in my estimation, than say walking into an acid test where- No, say, it's oh, not or, like that, but it's an open air immersion. But, but it, the immersion goes into your- subconscious it goes into it start this is called this is very well understood it's called the inner mirror right the inner mirror um that lacan talked about um and adorno you know inner mirror of the pop song right where the person hears the pop song and there's like a phase basically the psychological phase the inner mirror is sort of like where you see your father your kid and then it's like in, in you he's reflected in in yourself as like you're looking in the mirror of like what the ideal is or what you're trying to be so it's like there's a there's like a separation you know it but it's a supposed to be like a stage of psychological development if that doesn't is not processed which i think everything is related to making that not happen and it you know just maybe people don't go to that stage of maturity then like you you, you almost become that person when you see it it's going on but this this impact is going on subconsciously, it's subcortically, because actually what it is, um, 
is this was studied when the television first came out and some of this broadcast media um but at you know again is that it's the brain your body is actually it, it projects the nerve operation of the nervous system into the image on the screen it becomes like a decentralized central nervous system that so it actually does that where even after watching it it can influence your dreams even it you will in one part subconsciously you're going to experience yourself as if you're in that media thing you just watch on and that's just your humble little television that's right. not even going into all these other aspects and other types of arrays um so you can look at like phase array uh signal you know formats where you have you know different sort of towers brimming frequency which is going to be like our 5g but it's like yeah. it's like phase array technology we can yeah. tie this into electromagnetic your frequency you know psychotronic driving all that but but really it's it is you're exactly right um but for me you say for myself like i had to um you know find that was extant in myself even though i don't even watch that stuff you know you have to you have to go into your own mind you have to be able to do that I, you can maybe shatter it, but I think it it really affects people, and you can you can just notice it in so many ways that are very subtle. Like you know, even people references to TV shows used to you know I was a kid, people would always like imitate actors, but you can see how behavior is so you know that behavior action perception how people walk into a store, how people comply with certain things, right? It's it's there. Um, so I'm just going to get some water. So I'll be yeah, back. Go, go for it. So, yeah, yeah. So we're having a great discussion today with uh, Dr. Hans Utter and uh, going down some rabbit holes about uh, music and uh, culture and programming. And really this, um, again, I would call it immersive, deep, immersive, um, I don't want to use the word programming. It's bigger than programming. Like it's a, it's a, it's a bigger, it's almost, it's almost like a, a, a ritual. Like it's a, it is a, it is a, it is a program ritual or ritual program. And we're still in it. We're still in it. It's just, they've changed the program and they've changed the script and they've changed the soundtrack and they've they've changed the the narrative right but we're 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 still in this immersive environment and the the so if you go back to the 60s what is it like um love is all you need right love is all you need that was that was the 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 mantra of the 60s and what's the mantra now the mantra now is uh you're racist Right. Everything is inherently racist and it's part of the same continuum. It is part of the same continuum. It is part of the same script. It is part of the same programmers that programmed what happened during the 1960s. And now, you know, so the drugs of the 1960s were about expansion, right? It open your mind, open your mind, you know, um, uh, to, uh, was it uh, tune in, turn on, tune in, drop out, right? Turn on, tune in, drop out. So what, what are the drugs of choice now? Well, not even, they're not even a choice, but we have things like fentanyl, methamphetamine, right? So there's always a prescription for the times. And uh, so while you're getting your water, Hans, I was just talking about how 
you know, the 60s were part of this kind of ritual operation and in an immersive one. And, and we're still in one, right? We're in a ritual operation now. And the narrative has changed. The script has changed. The drugs have changed. The music and the soundtrack has changed. But it's the same continuum in a lot of ways. And, and this is where I think people really need to pay attention. Yeah. And, and one thing, um, yeah, well, there's a lot in here, you know, cause it is, um, there's a lot that's interconnected. And the thing is that, you know, it's easy to just focus on one aspect and be, you know, that, you know what I mean? Like there's just so much material, uh, when you look into this, but the, um, the ritual, I mean, the ritual operation, I mean, this, um, you know, there's a lot of these, um, you know, aspects that, that have been ongoing, um, you know, I would say, you know, I, probably the inception, the beginning, late Victorian starts to creep in right there. Um, um, Spiritualism becomes a big thing during the Victorian. Well, there's a very powerful and active uh, you know, occult, several, they had international bodies of these like sort of satanic churches, very powerful. Um, and they, this was in the 1880s, 1890s, or, you know, very, um, you know, large scale, like Finn de Sequel, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, have like Gustav Klimt, you know, like Vienna. So this occult stuff was very developed and they actually talked about plans for, you know, the either the so either sub subjugation of humanity to control the planet or just wipe everyone out and, and and but using even using things like you know music and these types of rituals um you know th this is um you know anyways that that's a, a bit of a tangent but the so the ritual aspect um you know it ties into the you know the the whole encoding of life experience right so you have um you have this underpinning for Western civilization, um, which is really the Christian church serving okay, whatever the flaws and, you know, what it may be. Um, for example, you have all the um, the uh, ethnic neighborhoods, right, that are connected, Catholic, this and that in the United States. And those were all part of the civil rights era was to destroy the inner cities, right, with, you know, our, with, um, okay, getting that, but, you know, it was basically, it was not just like, you know, white flight it was like no this was like people are looting and doing this and they're not being enforced by the police and they're breaking in your house but um anyways the the aspect of this the ritual aspect is is it has like you know the the basic components of a ritual are in our initiation separation and return right and so there can be other stages but these are the primary um i'm sorry separation initiation return so separation a ritual um it takes you out of your normal space right whether it's a graduation ceremony that's a ritual you're getting married is a throat but you're you're walking onto sort of a stage or a, you know or a, a temple or a whatever it may be right so that the ritual um and rituals of initiation initiation rites of passage and that's one of the things that's missing right from um, you can see, you know, in the, the, the wimp, you know, the seventies, you know, not, not talking about you, of course, but I mean, a lot of the, you see the men, um, you know, this, uh, Dr. Spock, of course, coincidentally, you know, don't scold your children. You know, you, the kid is like hitting the guy in the face, you know, father in the face and peeing right, on right. him and you're right, like, right. okay, son, 
you know, you know, and it, you know what I mean? So yes, and then you have the, the stuff that was done in Germany with really bad, that gets into, you know, very graphic, disgusting things. I won't mention that. So, but. okay. So I want to jump in here because we're on a little bit of a magic carpet, right? And yeah. I, th I was thinking about this before the show. I think it's a good time to insert this because you're talking about ritual and um, Benjamin Spock and don't hit your kid and, you know, raising a kind of a, a, a generation of entitled and soft people, right? Okay. This ties into Altamont. And I was think I was thinking about this, right? Because you and Jan were, were talking about the guy that got killed. And I'm listening. I'm like, it's Meredith Hunter, Meredith Hunter, Meredith Hunter, right? Yeah, yeah I, I didn't know the name. But just... No, no. But you, what you did is that he was wearing a green jacket. And you, that's the green thing that you picked up on. Because you well, he's a green it. man. That's a second, yeah. that's an archetypal image. The, right. you, not his name was green, but the green man. But you right. remembered the green part. You remember that yeah. stuck into your head. So I I started to think about this. Okay, well, let's look at the name Meredith Hunter. Mm -hmm. right. The name Hunter in and of itself is an interesting name, right? What does a hunter do? A hunter is self-sufficient, right? A hunter goes out and you know, finds game and, you know, takes down a bear or deer or whatever, right? And brings it back to the group. Hunter is part of the hunter-gatherer kind of ideology, the individual, okay? Look at the name Meredith. Mare is the sea, right? It's the ocean. And then you have death in there. So you have this, this kind of, the, the, the slaughter, right? The ritual slaughter of this individual who represents this idea of the hunter-gatherer. He happens to be black, by the way. That's the other part of it, right? He's black, so there, that's another piece of the ritual. And the mare death is like the age of Pisces, right? Because you have Pisces, which is the sea, and death. So what do we think of the age of Pisces? We think of like the ritual sacrifice of Jesus, right? So this Meredith hunter thing is really interesting at Altamont because it's like, they're making this ritual sacrifice of this guy who represents this idea of the hunter and the predator, not the predator in a bad, not in a bad sense, although you could probably make this weird kind of assignation because he's black, he's predatorial, which is not true. Right. But predator in the sense that, it, that you would stalk game. And then what comes after that? Right. I think a lot of the things that you're talking about, and you see the the demasculinization, and I'm not saying that these two things are completely linked, but in the world that we're talking about, we have to talk about it. Well, well, let me. So, I'll try to be very a little bit precise here. So, to understand this this point that, so you have the removal of say this you know this Christian aspect, right? Which very important for you can look at the United States. I mean, the country. It used to be a pretty nice place, right? I mean, it, it does instill... It's, a, it's an organizing principle and there's order. This is organized, organized, organized principle with order, discipline, and meaning. You have right, a right. meaning, whether or not you can move beyond it, you can go here or there, but it's there. And it's and then, you example, another thing I mentioned, like the man, the man used to be, you know, that authority of the father was right, sacrosanct. Right. You know what I mean? And that being destabilized, what happens you now have, and many, many other things, okay, we can go on and on, but as you remove the edifice, the foundational aspects that give most people the meaning in their lives, right, not not the existential philosophers that are, you know, whatever, but just your average person or ever anybody, this security is gone and also this ritual space is gone. 
in a certain way it's open and now i'm scientific now you come in and plug in your you people will accept new things they're they don't have that you don't have that strength of inner identity right i mean you know what i mean like the al-qaeda well you know operative terrorist says people they always say like oh they have to torture them well those people are actually very clear in who they are and what they are and what they believe and you know what i mean you can disagree with that but i, I think in the west really having that sense of strong identity um you know but not created or constructed but you know but almost like inherit anyways so the ritual aspect of that like for example um the, the ritual murder at altamont as you mentioned so you have this you have the sacrifice of you know you're also sacrificing the hopes and dreams of the idealistic generation of love mm -hmm. right, right. Yeah. and that's that's the that's the aspect of it that it's um and I, I like what you said about Meredith, and that's also kind of like a, a female name. And I know people have said, "Oh, he didn't really die." Um, I don't, I don't, you know. But of course, you have Hell's Angels, Hell's Angels, right? You have all these contradictions. You have this black and white juxtaposition, which is actually like the checkerboard, which is like the Masonic checkerboard. And this is how you can, when you talk about ritual in a sense steps out of time right it steps out of linear time it's sort of raised above the ritual can exist you know ritual can exist for a thousand years and be the same every time you know what i mean so yeah, certainly yeah. a ritual is but the the the, the chessboard if you look at if, if you just say we take um you know the beatles coming out in america you know the the um you know kennedy assassination you know this that you know manson or whatever we're talking about and then you can see these grids, symbolic arrays that these relate to the trauma tier. And you, if you look at it outside of time, right, you're looking at these, you're looking at spatial temporal relationships atemporally in, in, in a ritual space, separation, initiation, return, right? So I'm going, that's, you know, the definition of a ritual, but so the ritual process, so the separation, again, it's pulling you, like separation can even be, you know, okay, when you're, you know, an Aboriginal, they drop you in the wilderness and you're naked, you have to survive. If you lose your, your identity of, well, oh, I don't believe in God anymore. You know, if you're 13 years old or 10, you know, or I saw this, you know what I mean? Um, I'm not saying believe or don't believe in God, but I'm saying like that, that is like a separation or my father is an asshole or I, or my father, why doesn't my father tell me what I need to do instead of just letting me run rampant? You know what I mean? Even that that's subconscious, right? They still there's there's a love that comes from authority. But imagine that space. And then in that space of separation, you watch a cartoon, you watch the monkeys, you're being initiated, you're going through it, it, it's trauma, it also creates a separation, right? So the that's separation right, right. is right, like a trauma right. process. The initiatory, all these have many components. Initiation and in return is your reintegration with as a transformed person back into society, right? Back into right. yourself, which, um, and that's what like Altamont and rituals can also be negative rituals, right? So, so it's a sacrifice of the the, the idealism of the 60s right and then absolutely that yeah. it's, like drugs, it's over operations over we're, we're shutting it down buttons pushed all the lsd is going to be laced with really nasty stuff there's gonna be the hard drugs you know a lot of messed up people man you know what i mean i've yeah, yeah, heard yeah. at least i wasn't yeah. i wasn't there but i mean it's like a lot of people um you know in town right I mean, there was 
there was like a lot of residue and debris and people got into the hard drugs also and that's we're now but now we're back we had ecstasy now we're back to what you're saying we're cycling back into the hard drugs you know much worse you got meth you know the d- demonic porthole of meth and fentanyl i mean yeah. these things kill people yeah. by the, the yeah. 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 you know so the 60s starts off with the kill the kill king ritual of kennedy right that's the big trauma that it, it initiates people that's the separation that is the separation that you're i think you're talking about 11 22 33 day right yep. separation yep yep and then the part that i think is the uh it's linked to kennedy but people don't really realize how it's linked to kennedy is the impeachment of Richard Nixon, because there's this whole idea through the 60s where they create this generation gap. They keep talking about the generation gap and this whole thing around the father and uh, you know issues with the father. And they're pissed off because somebody killed Kennedy, who's like this uh, you know kind of mythological father of the country. And so they've got to they've got to kill the father. You know, there's this underlying sort of bloodlust, and even even with Morrison in the end, right? Oh the, yeah. This, this is the soundtrack. You've got to kill the father, and the father is Richard Nixon, and they they ritually sacrifice Nixon by impeaching him. Okay, and that's the bookend for the whole Kennedy thing, right? And then once you get into the other side of Nixon, you're in a you're in a different world, and that generation of that group has achieved what they set out to do which is which is kill the father and of course you have woodard and bernstein who are instrumental in that uh you know that experience and it's also in my estimation the death of journalism right because they go out they, they get the moby dick of their their lifetime and then after that journalism really becomes more like propaganda and that's a whole other kind of tale to this story but it's a it's an important one because i think nixon is this bookend to that time as well well yeah and um this it's so interesting because you look well what we can see right are these inner just to to connect this right nixon the political aspect these things are also part of that background right you know like all the king's men right this whole thing you know these you know these brave investigative journalists well i mean one thing was nixon was way better he's he's like you know he did a lot like for environment he actually was not that bad of a president in fact he did a lot of positive things but he he definitely um you know stepped on some toes so the whole watergate thing compared to some of these other scandals is nothing it's my I mean, sense it's you know, my what sense with the what the clintons got into man you know yep, meet yep, me yep. and mina you know what I mean? I mean, come on. I mean, yeah, no, it's, it's my snuts. I, I remember seeing uh, an interview on William F. Buckley, and it was this Italian guy, and he had been involved in um, the Italian parliament, but also journalism, and he was kind of moving into this EU space, right? And um, Buckley, he and Buckley talked about Nixon, and he said that would never have happened in Europe. Like they they would have looked at sort of this idea. That if you do this, you are going to ruin the fucking country, right? You are going to demoralize your people. And he said that that would never have happened in Europe. And he kind of looked down on that. And I thought that was really interesting because from an international perspective, 
we don't know what that looks like. And he was clear. He said, look, that's, that was ridiculous. You know, you, what you, what you did with Nixon was the damage that you did with Nixon far outweighed the theoretical crime that he had committed. Well, absolutely. Because this is the, the fact that, and then even going back where we started, like talking about Hendricks, like um, just, well, in this, that there's a, there's a, there is in our individual lives, right. You could say there is an, archetypal dimension right so like the king kill ritual right that that's there are aspects and some of these can be even you know there's an you know almost like energetic forms you know i i um just small tangent i was out and in the up in the himalayas i lived out in the himalayas for about a year and i'd be in places where there's no written language i have no book i have nothing but yet I could almost feel this like living information current that was alive, even though I didn't have access to anything. Um, that's one of the things that's being erased. Um, mm -hmm. And part of that um, is that, so the, you know, the, the, the King kill, the, the removal of the father um, is, this is a national ritual. Then you have a bookend of Nixon, right? Um, and Nixon, and this, it's like the good father and the bad father, but they're That's both right. killed. They're both yeah, killed. Yeah. And yeah, it's yeah. a fought and that idea for an, you know the the body of the nation. I mean, that's not necessarily an abstract, not that I necessarily want to be part well, of it. Well, one, they celebrated, like they, they celebrated when they killed Nixon. I mean, it was like the greatest day in you know, most liberals' lives. This is what they were living for. They the the, the ritual killing of their own father. Exactly. And that's, and that's one of the things that, that, you know, that, that well, well, Jim Morrison, and I, I don't, I haven't really thought about that. Look at this, the in you're individualizing. This is, this goes into schismogenesis. You're individualizing yourself as the killer, the victim and the killed too, because your inner mirror is, that's one of the most powerful examples of inner mirrors are, you know, with the, the parents, but especially, you know, the same, the, the female to the mother or the father, you know, son to the father as seeing like, how, who am I? What am I? You know what I mean? That inner mirror, you become your own, the killer of the father, mm -hmm. which is what the sixties was about. Look yeah. at the, look at the movie, the graduate, Paul Simon. Uh, he Dustin gets Hoffman, right? Dustin Hoffman. I, no, well, I mean the I mean the song, the, the soundtrack. Oh yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Well, the, the the movie itself, um, Mrs. Robinson. I'm talking about Paul this Simon. Is, right, right. That. Yeah. The song is the movie itself is kind of forgettable, right? I mean, but that song and the and the images or just even clips from that movie is what lives on, right? But that's that's sort of an example, right? And also, for example, the weddings, like how many films you see the wedding being disrupted, right? Yeah. People come in and break up the wedding. That's also related to <clears throat> not only the father, but yourself becoming the father, right? So when you kill, not the outer father, when you kill your own in inner father, you know what I mean? Then you become adrift. Then you can be a perpetual child. That's you, know, right. then, yeah. you know, and so, so anyways, I don't know that. No, no, I think it's, you know, and again, I think it gets back to this idea that what you were talking about with Christianity and this organizing principle and this orthodoxy and order and things that you can kind of build within that structure, including the family. And then when you take the father out, you, which is symbolic of Nixon or your own father or God, the father, right? This is where this breakdown occurs. And then everything gets kind of 
you know, uh, deconstructed and fragmented. And here we are. Here we are. You know, we are complete. I don't know if you saw the guy that that Biden hired to like oversee the like the, the nuclear program. Have you seen this guy? No. I mean, it's 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 clown show. It, he, he's he, he's dressed in drag and fishnet stockings, and this is the guy that's in charge of the, of the nuclear power. And this is like, and this is this is nuclear. It's like Buttigieg, right? He's like, oh, yeah. I'm on maternity. Oh, he he makes he makes he. Oh, I'm telling you, he makes Buttigieg look like Ward Cleaver. Okay. No, what I'm saying, but Buttigieg is like, you know, the the, the whole infrastructure shutting down, and this right. dude is on maternity leave. You're right, exactly for kids that they never had. I mean, this is yeah. fucking ridiculous. But, but okay, all right. So this is a good tie-in because we're going to wind down here. But this is a yeah, really good tie-in. Really good tie-in is when you started the show with Jan and you were talking about Apocalypto. Okay, and I love Apocalypto. It's a brilliant movie. And one of the things that you were talking about as, as a movie and movie making goes, it's incredible. Like I don't think there's any CGI in Apocalypto. No, none. Right. That's, and and it's you. Amazing. Yeah, and you look at those scenes when they're coming into the sort of the, the decadence of the, the the Mayan city and the temple and everything. It's epic. Like that is like David Lean epic style filmmaking. Okay, but one of the things that is the subtext of that movie, Apocalypto, is guess what? The family. Water of life. It's the, the, the end of it with the family in the well, the rain comes. Right. Yeah. And he is the, he's on the hero's journey, right? He's on the hero's journey because he wants to get back to his wife and now his two kids. And that is his motivating force. That's the most important thing in his universe is to protect his family. And through that, all these series and sequences of events happened to him in the rainforest that seemed to play in his favor, right? Like these strange things that he comes upon that aid him in his ability to defeat these bloodthirsty savages that are after him and then get back to his family because that family is the, the, the organizing principle. It is his raison d'etre right for everything in his life and i thought to myself when i first saw that that's really the subtext of the movie this is what mel gibson is talking about well you know and in that way you know it is um it's really i mean i i saw it you know first came out and people have said bad things about the movie i think it's one of the best most of the garbage out there film it's most of it's crap. Even stuff that people say, Oh, that's a great classic film. You know? Cause I was like, I was had like terrible flu for three weeks. I couldn't find anything. Apocalypto. I'm like, this is monumental, but yep. it's monumental in, it has, you look at the, I, I watched, I never watched crap. I watched the credits. I mean, you look at the whole thousands of people he had involved in that to do that film but it still has this spirit of life it has it's like from the heart right that's like a tarkovsky you know the solaris great one of my favorite directors and i was watching tarkovsky stuff because it's like i'm can't watch it at least oh and i was familiar with tarkovsky um yeah. well, okay. most people some people are yeah yeah but, but anyways i mean but that but for me the weird the thing was i literally felt it was like this is the whole movie i experienced it as um 
our world right like almost we're facing that same situation we are there um and it is that um it's sort of that you know the family it's like the core you know your love your the real self that you know what i mean that's not something it's not and to find that and that's your sanctuary and you know and then but it's through if you see that it's through that you know that path that the benefits comes right so it's not absolutely it's it's through the dedication the commitment and the love making that thing the most important thing in his life in his world is to get back to them and as a result of that the spiritual magic absolutely yes he not the other way around exactly absolutely so I just wanted to bring that up because I think it ties into sort of this atomization of the family that we've been talking about, the death of the father, which, by the way, he experiences in the movie, he experiences the death of his father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then his commitment and love for the children who will take their place as a father in his world. And um, I, it's, I, I love the film. I think it's great. It's one of my favorite of all time. And I, just thought, I thought we could end on kind of a... Uh, yeah po- positive note like that well, well absolutely and that's the, the beauty um even like I, I don't you know i don't like chasings that much though but the, those are epic amazing but going into that city i mean i could it's like that's what is happening to us as a planet as individuals and and this is the most aspect is that you know like for example the 6g um, it's supposed to be like this biosynthetic, you know, bio-integrative internet. It feeds off of your negative emotions. It feeds off. It literally thrives off of all these negative things. And um, and it's a lot of people not who haven't. You, you try to heal the relationships that are important. You know. Yeah. Because because so let me ask you. Let me ask you a question. Do you have any children? I have a son. Yeah. A son. Okay. Well, so I'm. Yeah. I just got a bit. I got a bit um, emotional there because I, I lost my um, my younger brother and actually from uh, to you know to overdose um, and it was he's uh, a big really important in my life and uh, so it's really important you know that at least you know you have pure you can live with purity I think that's so important but live from the heart you know I'm thinking open your heart you know you have to open and it's very important to clear. The baggage and all these things that you generate suffering through like you know anger or people you know get you know patterns it's patterns are there some of these are not your own and sometimes you're dealing with people that are caught but there's so much you can release um you know and it's it you don't have to carry that and you can clear and it may be painful and you may not be as strong as you think and it may be more insecure but guess what life is insecure right now right but that's the thing. I mean, I think that that's and all and ultimately all these demonic arrays of these comp, you know, you, you know. I mean, if if it if it's going to triumph, then it doesn't matter anyways. But I I, I don't I think that it there now's the time to do that. And it, there's so much blessing and sanctuary available, um, but it, it doesn't have to come from looking out. It comes from looking in and but with the people and people you're directly connected with, right? Not mm-hmm. just thinking about something, but it, anyways, um, you know, I think that that's a great, great thing. And, and uh, thank you for, for bringing that up because uh, 
I mean, to me, it's it really is like a, a way to say, I mean, I think there's truth in that. I'll say, I'll say that straight up. I think that is, you know, and maybe it won't necessarily be specifically the family, but it's that that core of that kind of love that we all know what it is, even though we maybe rarely, because it's it's also a sacrifice. You become in a certain way you're sacrificing, but in this case you're sacrificing the lower aspects of yourself. Right. You're not harvesting. You're not allowing your higher self to be energy harvested, which is a lot of what this stuff is about. But um, yeah. okay, I'll leave it there. It's three or two o'clock here. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, Hans, I knew this would be a great interview, and because when I saw you on Jan, I'm like, I like this guy. He's smart. He's he connects a lot of dots. He's got a music background. So when uh, Steve, you know, brought you up as a possible guest, uh, I was psyched. And then, you know, synchronistically, I saw the interview you did with Jan on Monday. So I really want to thank you for being here today. Hey, it was, um, it was fantastic. I re really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. So hopefully, you know, do it again. I, I, um... Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to have you back. And if you have like a, a, you know, another book coming out or you just want to hang out and talk some more about, because I could go on forever about a lot of this shit. So yeah. um, you're, you're welcome here anytime. Well, no, it was, it was fun. Um, you know, I have, I have material, you know, and this and that, but schizogenesis, but I thought it was just great just diving into a topic. And I thought we covered a lot of interesting ground. It was really fun with, you know, your, it's more of a dialogue. Um, you know, cause a lot of times I'll do stuff is more like kind of a presentation. So this was, uh, I really enjoyed, um, enjoyed that. Um, and I think there's a lot to, uh, to uncover. So, um, yeah, fantastic, man. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, let's give people another peek at your website, which you're probably going to be, uh, doing some different things with, but let's get, let's do it again. Yeah, that's on the list. And I also have a, a WordPress mind control music at wordpress.com. Okay. I've got like CDs um, for sale. Um, so, so, so you have actually, you got uh, some music there too. Huh? Okay. Yeah, well, it should be. Yeah, I've got it. Yeah, it should be. For let, sale. Let's, let's just give people another glance at your website before we get on out of here. And there's also, there's an album on Spotify. If, um, it, that's uh, that's through this label, but it's it's called uh, it's called Avalon and Tara. It's it's like actually me me and my wife singing, but it's a uh, music okay. to sleep by. So okay, cool, very good, excellent. Hans, keep up the good work, and um, we'll see you soon. One of these days. All right, all right, Robert. All right, you take good care. All right, man. Okay. Last question: Are you into astrology, by the way? Like yeah, yeah. That's that's the other hat I wear, and. Uh, so yeah, I do a lot of work with like astrological cycles, generations. I also do individual work too. Oh no, that 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 would have um, if I had known that, I really would have liked to kind of go go into that with you because I think that that's a really Let, let's so let's get you on again, man. We'll 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 yeah. we'll, do, we'll do a deep dive. Okay, all right, all right. man. We'll take, take care, care, brother. Bye, Bye for now. Okay, that was Dr. Hans Utter. Uh, great show, really, really great show. And uh, I look forward to having him back. He feels like he's going to be somebody who's going to be on the show on, on a frequent basis. So um, Friday forecast, another one in the books on 211 and a uh, really, really good one. So a couple of things I want to kind of um, you know, end on here. One of which is a personal story, semi-personal, personal to me in terms of the person who told me the story. I'm going to tell you that story. <clears throat> and I'm going to be on with Giuseppe today on Twitch at 5 p.m. 
So I think it's um, Perfect Triangle on Twitch with Giuseppe. I don't think Dave Scorpio is on. I think he has somebody else. I didn't recognize his name. But I'll be on there for two hours, and um, we're going to talk about some of the stuff around uh, Tartaria and <clears throat> the you know, the uh, astro some of the astrological stuff around Tartaria that, that I've you know played around with. And then I'm going to bring up the the Janus ritual, which we are now out of, right? And if you have you know been following the stuff that I've been talking about. I said that in January, we would come out of the Janus ritual and that would mean the dropping of the masks. The masks would come off. And, and we've seen that now. So, we, so the, the Janus ritual, which has, to, so the, one of the aspects of the Janus ritual is war. It happens during wartime and we have been in a war. And we're still kind of in the war, but it's it's different. The war is on us, the people of the United States of America and the people of the West in a lot of ways. So we have been in that war space, part of the Janus ritual. It's over now, at least this phase. And the idea is that uh, people are changed on the other side and people are changed. Genetically, biologically, they are changed. And um, so I'm going to talk about that on uh, Giuseppe's show today as well. All right. Here's the story. It's anecdotal, and I want to share it with you. And I, and I hope the person I'm, I, I'm referencing here doesn't mind. I'm not going to mention her name. But I got a call today from a, a dear friend of mine, and she told me something that blew my mind. And what she told me was that she had ended a relationship with somebody whom she had been in for a while. And in my mind, clearly not a healthy relationship. And for reasons I'm not going to get into. But she ended that relationship. And not only did she end that unhealthy relationship reclaimed her life synchronously her long-term and challenged relationship with her daughter pivots changes everything in her daughter's life becomes an upgrade total upgrade now this is a family that doesn't believe in, you know, the uh, protocols of the pandemic, right? So just fill in the blanks. Everything you need to do theoretically, especially the money shot, don't believe in it. I'm not going to practice it. So the family winds up again, synchronistically, like almost like magic in divine timing moves out of Pennsylvania where they have much more rules, strictures, and limitations, and they relocate to Idaho. And everything happens. Like it all happens. Both parents get jobs and better jobs than the ones that they had. And like they, they said to, to my friend, it's incredible. Everybody's nice here. 
Not that there aren't nice people in Pennsylvania. There are. But it's a different vibe. I mean, it's clearly a different vibe. So here's a person made a significant change, finally ending a relationship that didn't work for her. It should have ended a while ago. And she knows that. And we talked about it. But that, it is what it is, right? And then everything changes. Every, the, the most difficult relationship besides the one that she was trying to leave was with her daughter. And that pivots and heals. So I'm sharing this with you because this gets back to, in some ways, what Hans and I were talking about at the end of the show, which is the, the basis of the movie Apocalypto and the thing that the, the main character commits to and, and is more important than anything to him is that thing, right? And, and it's that thing that's this connection between um, his wife and, and his two children, one that's born while he's away, trying to, you know, get away from the clutches of the dark Mayan priests under the spell of the, uh, the, the, the demonic entities that were running that culture. So it's, a, it's the, it's the same thing. Like once you commit to something, right. Once you commit to something, then the commitment starts to work with you. Way it works. That's how it happens. I'll I'll share you another thing, another little tidbit. Okay. So, one of her, I think it was, it's either her son-in-law or her son. I, I can't remember which. One of the two. He had a number of doctors, people that he knew, physicians privately come up to him and say, don't get it. Okay. Now they can't come out and say that they'll lose their license, lose their practice. But just to let you know, there are doctors who privately tell people that they know they love Maybe, who knows? I don't know where they are in terms of being complicit. Maybe they're not, you know, actually engaged in the administration of it, right? But they told him, don't get it. So that knowledge is out there. And sometimes we tend to think of, well, the medical world is just this monolithic, you know, uh, you know Borg-like entity. It's not. Trust me, there are people in that world that know what's going on. It's very hard for them to figure out how to entangle themselves from this mess that they're in. And that's just from their professional perspective. I'm not even talking about how they have to deal with that on a personal perspective, right? Emotionally, philosophically, spiritually, like you're one of those physicians and you, you know, and you're advising people privately. What do you think is going on inside of you? How do you reconcile these things? It's got to be difficult. Uh, and I'm not trying to give them a pass, but I, I am trying to tell you that there are people that are in that game. They're aware. They're probably doing the best they can. And they're probably having to really deal with like the internal processes of this stuff that 
you and I probably couldn't even imagine. So I hope that we get more of those people who can flip the switch and turn some corners. And who knows, maybe it's too late, you know, maybe because of the Janus ritual, the game is over. But, um, you know, I still think that there's a lot of encouragement um, to make this happen. And of course, the idea is to continue to do this and to be able to um, mainstream mRNA into the regular, you know, its schedule. And if that's the case, then they can make a much longer kind of, um, that's where I'm looking for, a much, a much longer case, I guess, for not taking it. All right. Thanks for being here. Uh, of course, I'll be back on Sunday night over on Sunday Night Astro Live. And uh, today at 5 p.m. on Twitch with Giuseppe and uh, the Perfect Triangle. Until then, use your head in order to discern what's real, your heart to set what's possible. Uh, once again, thanks to Dr. Hans Utter for being here and for Steve Thor by the door for setting it up. Next Friday, the return of Howdy McCoskey. That should be 